Hey, it's Clay at moneywithclay.com. Have another great interview discussion chat. I don't know what we're quite calling these, but it is gonna be another one where I put it in the category of like Paul from a few interviews ago of you know, kind of the subtitle, who I hang around with, the people that I surround myself with. As I've talked about and will continue to talk about, the people that you surround yourself with are the people that, well, you are going to hear the people that you are going to get to know their opinions, their philosophies, their outlooks on life. And if you surround yourself with people that have just a bad mentality, that have the victim card type mentality, that have the woe is me mentality, then odds are you're gonna feel that way too. I don't wanna surround myself with people like that. I wanna surround myself with winners, with people that are of the beast mode mentality, thinking, you know what? Yeah, that may be difficult, but I'm going to get it done. You know what? I'm not quite sure how to go about it, but I'm going to figure it out because it's all on me. It's the person in the mirror that's going to dictate things, not anybody else. That's what I want. That's how I think. That's how I want to continue to think. And that's how I want to continue to you know, better myself in my thinking. So I just want to think better in those regards. So who I surround myself with? Well, we have another person on today's episode, and it's actually close, my family, my brother-in-law, uh, and Mark is his name, and as I'm sure you saw from the title, he landed a job, uh, a highly coveted job at Google, and I wanted to just kind of sit down with him, shoot the breeze, and just kind of hear about how he got from you know where everything started to ultimately, like I said, landing the job at Google, he gives, he's really good at interviews, um, which kind of maybe goes without saying given he landed a job at Google, but he gives some great pointers and he just kind of goes through his mentality, all that he's gone through. And you'll notice a lot of underlying similar factors that have come across. And, you know, if you've listened to the other discussions I've had with people, but, you know, there's really not much else to say other than, you know, you want to get some marks in your life. What do I mean by that? Well, get some marks, get some Pauls, get some. Phil's, get some Jeff's, the past people I've talked to. But as far as me personally, like I said, Phil and Jeff, I know them through the other, you know, businesses that I run. But as far as people that I would consider friends, you know, here's another friend that is definitely part of my sphere of influence. And yeah, they have a very positive influence on me. And hopefully they will on you too. So let's uh, get things going with Mark. Hey, have you, have you done any uh, fasting yet? Have you tried the intermittent fasting? Uh, I haven't tried it yet. I have a, I have a good buddy at work who's been doing it and, uh, I just always end up being really grumpy. <laughs> so I haven't, been, I need to get past that and like push through, but how long, have, how, having, long have, how long have you made it before you, before you've eaten? I'm pretty consistent. If I can do it, um, like don't like stop eating at seven and then don't eat until noon the next day. I'm pretty good about that if I set my mind to it, but that's about as far as I can go. But that's still not working for you. You're 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 just too grumpy. It's just a sheer lack of willpower on my on my end, <laughs> and I, I get really be- grumpy, and I end up I end up inevitably have a sales call at like eleven thirty, and I just get so mad that these people are you know I'm like I can't wait to get off this call so I can just go stuff my face with food to end this fast. And do they have? I mean, it's Google Google headquarters. So is it just like free food for lunch and buffets and? All you yeah. can eat, like at the food court, is that literally how yeah. it is? 
Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Uh, so they have three meals a day. Uh, dinner they don't start until six thirty, so I normally don't do dinner. But breakfast they start serving that at seven thirty, and it's like it's a rotating menu. So today I had steel cut oats uh, with raspberries and uh, like chia seeds on top, sprinkled on top. It was nice. And then they have like a barista bar where they just make whatever drink you want. So you can just be like, I want a, you know, a cappuccino or I want a, you know, a cold brew and they just make it for you. And it's all included. There's no tip. There's no payment. It's just, you scan your badge into this big cafeteria. And the same goes for lunch. Today I had vegetable pho and, uh, <laughs> you, and that's what a, you call a rotating me? menu. <laughs> yeah. Vegetable pho. It's like a Vietnamese soup. Uh, I had that, which was really good. And then uh, the other day, the weirdest thing I've ever seen them have is we had a uh, squid steak as one of the main uh, main lunch main lunch items. So you'll get random a, stuff that comes through steak, there. That's a steak made of squid. Yeah, exactly. It's like a white squid steak, and that's for, the, one of the one of the options for lunch. Yeah. For, and then what, what's the dinner? I know you don't do dinner, but what's that menu looking like? If you're having squid steak for <laughs> Google yeah. AdWords, is, it's, it's doing well, doing well. Yeah, exactly. So what's dinner? No, I've never done dinner, but I, I'm assuming it's more the same. Um, the, best, the best part is, uh, so they have like, uh, so everything is labeled it's like with allergens. And so like you'll go up to the, the bar and you'll see, you know, vegetable pho and there'll be a label at the top that says it's vegan. And then I'll say like it, it has these allergens. So like maybe I'll have gluten or soy or dairy or whatever the case may be. But the best part about that is you go to like get iced tea, which is also labeled as vegan. <laughs> and then you get water also labeled as vegan. <laughs> and you're like, I think we may have gone a little bit too far with the labels here, but <laughs> so you pretty much, you can pretty much get whatever you want. The dinners are, I'm assuming it's like steak, it's chicken, it's you know, shrimp and they have all sorts of stuff. Salmon. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's a, and it's a really cool perk. It helps. It definitely helps on our grocery budget, but at the same time, you kind of have to be careful of how much you're uh, eating. I feel like you should stay for dinner though, because that would really save on your grocery budget. I know. I know. Hey babe, I won't be home until, uh, until seven o'clock. I'll just, <laughs> I know that's what I, that's what I really should do. Um, but yeah, one of these days think- that'd be too practical. That's what you would do. I bet Clay. Yeah, I'd be like, I'll see you at, I mean, I don't know, but I understand the logic. Google's want, Google wants you there like all, all day. So I mean, yeah, and it's, if Google it's offered a midnight snack, I'd be like, I'll see you at 1 a.m. because I'm getting my money's worth. I, I want that yeah. perk to its maximum. Uh, yeah, you know, but, what's interesting too is like, is you end up, uh, it's, it's a great perk and I absolutely love it. But I, I, what I'm finding is that I actually work more and take less time on break. I think some of the premise is, you know, if you're uh, you know, a normal worker who goes out to lunch every day, that's a solid hour that you're gone. Um, even if you just grab something to come back. But with by having food on site, you grab your food, you sit down, you eat, you chat with a couple of colleagues. I'm probably back to my desk, uh, you know, under 30 minutes every time. Uh, sometimes even less. Or you can take stuff to go as well. So I do think there's an element where it's a it's a productivity boost as well to where you you know you're you're kind of in and out and you're back to your back to your desk. Yeah, and I mean the proof's in the pudding when a company yeah. has billions and billions of dollars in sales and is yeah. like a brand among brands. They they're clearly they're clearly doing something right and I'm I'm sure like you said they've done all their calculations and they understand the produ- uh, productivity statistics uh, quite well. Before I forget yeah, though. Yeah, exactly. What's uh are you guys still, what's the real estate looking like? I mean, are you still thinking about 
trying trying something out there or what? I mean, have has, have the prices come down or yeah. is it still you know, insane? It's, it's insane. It, it really is. There's actually a uh, a really rundown uh, duplex across the street from us that's on the market for 1.2. <laughs> and it, <laughs> and really and it, uh, I actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's one point two, and it's we're talking like uh, uh, probably two one bed, one bath apartments next to each other in a gray building that looks like it needs a new roof, like right away. <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> like ASAP. And so I actually yeah. I walk the dog in the mornings, and I like you know peek my head in there, and I'm just like, man, this I don't know, this isn't that nice. And so I looked it up, and it's one point two, and I thought, you know, it's just it's just crazy. I think the real estate market here is so it's just wild and it's it's just this insane i i I think it's just going to keep going up i mean california in general we were in los angeles for the last five years and you know los angeles mirrors the uh the san francisco market and it's just it's crazy to think about you know having a mortgage for the next 30 years that could potentially be five grand plus a month that's just a lot of money i can't i can't imagine it Although I well, want what, it, I can't imagine it. Yeah, what was it when you first uh, when you went up to San Francisco and they were temporarily housing you? What was that story? I can't remember, but <laughs> the place that they're housing you and didn't you think about you might just stay there for rent yeah. or something? Anyways, what what was yeah. that story? So, yeah, so you know Google's Google's a terrific company to work for, and like all the the things that you read online are very very true. Like they take incredible care, you know, of the people that they bring on, and like I'm very much like a. I would describe myself as a middle of the road, like type of, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sales rep. I sell our applicant tracking system called hire, um, you know, a solid mid market consultative sales guy. And they, they, they moved us up here and they put us up in corporate housing for three months. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but we showed up and it's literally like you open the door. We're talking granite on the granite countertops, uh, you know, stainless steel appliances, two bed, two bath with a walk-in closet. And, I've been in California feet? for, uh, I don't know. It's tough to probably fifteen hundred or so. Okay, maybe so that's 000. pretty big size then. Oh, that's it was that's, it, that was big it, then. It was about it about doubled everywhere else I'd ever lived in terms of just like sheer livability. Um, and so we, you know, we were there for two months and we got really used to it. It was really nice, like walk-in closet, washer and dryer. This is pretty sweet. And so uh, they, we end up moving out, and then Corey and I, my wife had had kind of talked, and we said. Well, let's see what the cost is and be really nice to stay here. They have like they have a little dog park in the back and it was really great. And they so they slip us this special under the uh under the under the door. <laughs> They're like slip you us know, if you special. move in <laughs> if you move in, you know, in the next thirty days, we'll drop the rent to thirty eight hundred dollars a month. You know, and I'm just like, wait a thirty eight hundred like thirty eight, really? Who can do that? Who can afford that? You have to and that was a special. That was like sign now. This is never going to circle back around again. <laughs> that, I mean, you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I now live in Michigan. Yes. But I mean, just to think, what what kind of house could a thirty eight hundred dollar mortgage get you in either oh. of these states? It would be like, Butler, I try not to come think here. About it, I, in. <laughs> I try not to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's pretty. My. It's pretty crazy, and it's it's uh it's it's wild. And I remember just going, you know, maybe some. I don't know if ever I'll be able to you know, for four get you know, thirty eight, four K a month. But uh I I thought, man, this is crazy. Yeah, it's just you wonder how I don't know how it breaks down. Is it just pretty much landlords all over the place? Or I mean, who are these people that's So gonna... it's interesting. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So I don't it's I don't I don't know it that well, but uh, in the sense of what I've what I've gathered so far, 
is it's a lot of people that have that lived here a while ago. Meaning like they bought early two thousands, maybe late nine, you know, nineteen nineties. And they just have basically like they bought really low and then the appreciation, the dot com just boom just drove the housing prices up. I think now it's almost to the point now where I don't know that it'd be worth buying like a rental property anymore. Because it's, you know, and it, it, like I said, the, the two bedroom, you know, duplex across the way at 1.2, I mean, you're not necessarily going to get that back in monthly rent. You could, but it's, you're not going to make a ton of money anymore. I don't think I could be wrong on that, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really crazy, it's a really crazy market. And to your point coming from Ohio, I think previous, you know, previous to moving to California, I paid like 175 a month and lived in a family's basement for, <laughs> for like a year and a half. <laughs> And then I actually lived for free. It's a funny story. My friend, my good friend, uh, his parents had, a, had this mansion. In, Which in one? Was Ohio. it one that I would know from your wedding? Yeah, Bill. Bill. Oh, you Bill. Know Bill. Okay. Yep. So, so Bill, Bill's family had this massive house and they ended up moving. His dad's a doctor, wonderful family, uh, longtime family friends. They ended up moving to a new place and they were having uh, trouble selling it. And they basically, I don't know what it was, but more or less they offered this house to myself, Bill, and then our third friend, Peter, to live rent-free, which would basically allow the house to be occupied. And so we lived in this, we had like furniture that covered one out of like three living spaces. We each had our <laughs> own bedroom and bathroom. And I lived there for free for about a year and uh, it was awesome. And so, you know, you, then I, you know, you move to California and you just go, I, I, it was such sticker shock that it just, it took me a while to kind of get used to it. But it's like, it's like anything, you know, you kind of get used to it and then you just eventually, it's like, it's like, what do they say about the frog when the water just keeps getting turned up? You just don't even notice it after a while. Oh, that's right. And Sadly. Before you know so, it, you're out on the street. <laughs> yeah, or in somebody's mouth in the frog's case, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you do, you do, it's true. You get used to it eventually, but uh, at first it was a lot of, a lot of shock. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I, I try to make the numbers work in my mind, but you, cause you, I mean, you like watch the shows or whatever on TV and it's like, oh, the California real estate flippers, they just made $80,000 or they just made $120,000. But it's like, yeah, but they're risking like $800,000 up front. Where is this $800 or $800,000 coming from? It's the, the numbers yeah. are just way beyond my personal risk tolerance. But I mean, yeah, and it's, I, at the end of the day, I, I it comes go down big, to go big, go home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to answer to answer your question, you know, we're we're pretty much have come to the conclusion that it's going to be a long time until we buy. I think what we may try to do is we may look to you know do some rental stuff um, at some point, probably in the next year. Look to buy. You know, I'm from I'm from Cincinnati originally, and um, you know, have my, my younger brother still lives there. We may look to buy in the Cincinnati area and do some sort of a rental property where we can, you know, get in and hopefully cash flow positive and just slowly start chipping away at building equity in something. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the tentative plan as of right now. I don't think we have, you know, Google pays, Google pays great. It's a great company to work at, but not quite good enough to where you can go 1.2 as of yet. Right. And it's always, I mean, it's adjusted for cost of living. I like that plan though, because yeah, the the purchasing power of a dollar goes a lot further in Cincinnati or Grand Rapids yeah. here than it would in San Francisco. Which aren't you guys like the number one most expensive real estate market, even more so than L.A. and yeah. anywhere else in the country? San Francisco is number one, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, and that's what I've consistently heard. And it's 
you know, it's it's just like um, it's just it's I'm trying to think how to say it. It's everything is expensive, like everything. There's nothing that you know. You go to the grocery store and you're like, wow, that was really expensive. Or what's a gallon you know, of gas? Milk? <laughs> I don't even know. We drink almond milk, Clay. We <laughs> well, what's a what's a quart of <laughs> almond milk? In true in true California fashion, we drink almond milk and eat kale. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Which, I don't, that's I don't know what it is. This is kind of random, but I, I got to give a shout out to you. Um, I I don't even think you ever told me about it. I just heard it through like, I don't know if it was Abby, who is my wife for you listeners out there, or but kimchi. You're a big fan of kimchi, right? <laughs> yeah, kimchi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that stuff. And I, well, I think we didn't we send videos through the group text, yeah. family group text, yeah. of the kids eating kimchi. Yeah, and that your, all started uh, with- your, your daughter was, your daughter ate it. My my son just looked at it and like threw it on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, even Faye ate it, who Faye is uh, 14 months. My 14-month-old daughter was eating kimchi, which has spice to it, and she, you could tell it hit her, but she just needed her water and, and she moved on from it, but- Yeah, she's a champ. Yeah, did, um, what what brand- or do you eat it often, or is it just like so, a every now and then thing? Because I, I so, want to—I don't want to tell you what brand I eat, but I, I want to compare notes. If you're kind of a, a religious yeah, eater so, of it, I'm not. But I—I uh, I found some at Costco, which I'm—I'm I'm like trying to become one of those Costco people, who, you know, the people who like tell you how amazing it is and how you save so much money. And I end up just with like you know, 78 rolls of toilet paper, like <laughs> stuck in my closet. You know? yeah. I'd almost, yeah. I'm at the point where I'd rather just spend less money and like get a normal size toilet paper. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's kind of Honey, embarrassing. I just got like, the two gallon thing of ketchup. Yeah. Come on. In. Yeah. Yeah. There's only so much space. You know, you're like, you check out and you have like two of these industrial toilet paper rolls and you're like, that's all we do at our house. That's all we do. Yeah. 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 So I, I'll have to say, I, I, I got the Costco brand kimchi, which is supposed to be really nice but it's in like a half gallon tub. And oh uh, <laughs> I think I may have bit off a little bit more than I could chew there. It's like, I just open it up. I'm like, I have so much kimchi to get through. I think this, I don't think this stuff has like a super long shelf life. So I, I, uh, I, I tried to go Costco on that one. Um, but I know, uh, I'm sure you guys may have a better path than what I've, I've chosen. What do you guys I know, do? I found this call, stuff called mother-in-laws or mother-in-law kimchi. Nice. It is, it is fantastic. It's like eight bucks a jar. Which, if you look nice. at the comparable ones, it's like they're like four bucks. But this one's like yep. straight up. I almost sound like a hippie Californian. It's like all natural. <laughs> There's no preservatives yeah. or anything in it. Oh but, yeah, uh, it's labeled. So, it's labeled vegan, just like the the spa water at Google. Yeah. Side story. <laughs> How's your coffee? Just a little story on my part. So I we uh, they came, was it what was last Christmas? Yeah, last Christmas. Yeah, it was Christmas. Which was, turned out to be a horror show with everybody getting sick and all that. But uh, that's besides the I point. I still I still wake up in like cold sweats thinking of how <laughs> was everyone so, was sick. <laughs> that was so bad. Oh, so yeah. bad. Uh, anyway, so they came. Um, so Mark, as I will probably I haven't recorded the intro, but I'm assuming I introduce him as my brother-in-law. So him and my sister come back from California. My family we come down from Michigan. And he, you know, we're drinking some coffee and he's like, oh, dude, you got a picture of this like California hippiness. You got to try this <laughs> coffee maker. It's top down. What, I don't even, what is that stuff called? What, what's it's, the, the proper terminology for the brewing just, of the uh, coffee? Yeah, it's really good. It's like, I don't, I, my, uh, my grandma would always call things that are really nice. She calls it top draw. Uh, so I probably said it's top, it's top drawer. It's top shelf. It's the, it's the good stuff. But like, what's the process of how it's being made? Because the water like drips from the top or whatever. What what what's... Yeah. 
So somewhere somewhere along the line, living in Los Angeles, I yeah. found myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to hear your, your, your the, how hippiness creeps in. So, and this is a good example of it. It's a it's a slow creep. Uh, somewhere it's along the frog the line, in the water. I, yeah. So so I I I used to just drink like I would just go to Starbucks and I would get a cup of coffee and I always enjoyed it. I thought, hey, it's dark roast. It tastes a lot better than the stuff I'm able to make at home. And somewhere along the line, I ended up at this place called Blue Bottle Coffee in Venice Beach. And, uh, you know, I walk in and there's a line. I'm like, okay, this looks great. And then I look at the price and it's like a coffee is $4.75 for a small. And I was like, wait, it's like, you know, I, I think we've talked before. I'm, I'm pretty good about like, I'm okay to spend some money on some decent stuff. But there was a line in the sand where I was like, I don't know if, <laughs> I mean, uh, morally, I don't know if I can, if I can justify in my mind, like spending four seventy five on a small coffee. But uh, anyway, so I, I get to the front and I just, there's a line at this, that point, there's people in front of you, there's people behind you and you don't want to be that guy that just like leaves. <laughs> everyone's like, oh, he must be poor. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, anyways, I get to the front and I order this like African Burundi, like, I don't even know what it was, pour over. And I just, I just ordered it and the lady's like, okay. And then, so this coffee comes out and I'm like, man, I just spent 475 on this and it's not a lot of coffee. It's like a small cup. And, uh, it was apps like it, it was life-changing how good it was. It was so fresh. It was so good. I just remember walking out of there being like, that's the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. And so that kind of started this quest of like, and it's like anything, once you have like really good coffee, everything else kind of just pales in comparison. You go to Starbucks, you're like, oh man, this Starbucks dark roast feels like it's been sitting on the, on the warmer for, for a long time. It's not freshly such a, made. It's such a snob, a coffee yeah, snob. Exactly. So a coffee snob was born right then and there. And it's, like I said, it's something you really can't come back from. And so I just, I just kind of developed this hobby on the side of being like, I'm just going to try to get into this a little bit and kind of see and then two years later, you know, I'm like researching coffee makers and all these blogs are like, cause I think like, if you want to do coffee, like the real way you have to like fresh, but like the real way, meaning like, if you want to be a real snob, you like <laughs> grind the beans by hand, you know, you, uh, you know, you do the full pour over, which takes well, do you like, first have to take the donkey up the mountain to get the seeds or is that yeah, exactly. is it okay? Yeah. Exactly. So you, 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 you just, there's this whole process that would involve like probably 15 to 20 minutes of time to get like one cup that you would pay 475 for in Venice beach. And, uh, and I just, I'm not willing to dedicate that, that amount of time to things. And so I did some research and I came across this coffee maker and it just gets rave reviews and, you know, and people are like, this is the closest you can get to like a pour over coffee. Pour over. With, that's uh, what it was. Okay. Yeah. Pour that, over. that was the term. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Pour over. It's a, it basically replicates a pour over without What's having. It? I to can't do think. Any... I own it. I can't think of what the name of it is though. What's it? The... Yeah, I, I actually own it now. It's the Oxo uh, Barista Brain. O yeah, Oxo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's three hundred dollars on on Amazon, and it's it's just like getting that four seventy five cup where you're like I don't know how I can justify this purchase. <laughs> I don't but know. Somewhere Let's, along, <laughs> I'm going to do the math like, right now. Three hundred dollars. Divided by four seventy five. Let's figure out the payback period. I mean, as soon as you drink sixty three cups of coffee, you've broken even, and then it's pure profit <laughs> yeah. since then. Yeah, pure profit. <laughs> um, so I think I, I mentioned it to you, and I and when it comes to big purchases, no, uh, okay, I'm going to cut you off there. I'm going to start to give my. <laughs> see, you yeah, can tell Mark's a great sales guy. He mentioned it to me, 
This guy put on all his sales tactics, and before I knew it, I'm searching Amazon, pressing the buy button on like a two or three hundred dollar coffee maker. So that's how you I get think to I Google, get some folks. Com- I sh- Amazon should have to- paid me some commission. Yeah, and you also Jedi mind tricked me into buying the bean grinder too. Yeah, the grinder. So yeah. in one sit down conversation over Christmas, you turned me into foo foo coffee boy, and now I'm just yeah. the same as you, where it's like. Oh well, I need to have the pour over, and I need to have my beans yep. finely or uh, freshly ground. And but I mean, exactly, it, it's good. I, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. But yeah, um, it's good for being the, for being the uh, cheapskate that money. I am. You 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 sold me, <laughs> and you sold me well. And uh, yeah, I think I think previous to this, Clay, when I had come to your come to your place, you had taken out the the economy uh, tub of Folgers out of the freezer. <laughs> the Costco version. So it was like a big yeah. barrel full of it. I mean, which, <laughs> yeah, which in the freezer is like the, you know, it's like it'll, you could basically keep coffee in the freezer and it'll quote unquote stay good for like six years, but <laughs> it, it's not actually that good. Um, well, and you, and you know yeah. that it, you know that it came from my mom, who's always looking for a bargain, and bargains <laughs> are like from you know 2007. So it was probably 2007 Folgers that had been on sale, yeah. and I just kept it in the fridge. And <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, the genesis too is when I came back to visit your mom. Who you know, bless her heart, she you know she has so many different Keurig coffee uh, oh, pods, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and she's like, I got this on sale. It's like, well, when did you get it on sale? <laughs> Two years ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First stop, I'm going to go get some some fresh coffee, you know, pods, like at least put in the Keurig and they're not two years old. And I sit here and laugh, but so my mom's like that. And then my grandpa, my mom's dad, everything, the joke with him was like, oh, it's just like new. And they're like, oh yeah, we know what just like new means. He's like, hey, I got this bet. It's just like new. And you see it and you're like, that's just not, but I am probably on that pathway too. So, um, yeah, you know, 30 like years, 40 new. years from now, I'm going to have that same, Mark, try this. It's only <laughs> it's seven like years new. old. It's just like new. <laughs> I got it on sale. And just like just, new. Yeah. So, uh, you'll just have to bear that's with funny. it. But th- th- that is, that is pretty funny. But, uh, yep. all right. So we've already established that you that you work for Google now and yep. the whole kind of, I, idea here let's see by the time this airs there will be three other guests that i've interviewed yeah uh, Rant, did you like uh as of the recording of this uh paul dewise's in- interview was or dis- not really an interview but a discussion but you did yeah. you like paul's did you think that was pretty solid yeah he was great i you know i uh in, in preparation for this i was like well i'll just check out the podcast see who's been on see what sort of stuff you've uh you've been talking about and uh paul was awesome what a great storyteller the guy's a voice like made for radio, just smooth. And I, I, I like the fact that he uh, he felt comfortable enough to drop a, some profanity on there. I've been known <laughs> to drop a little profanity here and there. I think I have the distinction of <laughs> your son, your son Trip. I, I was the first person who swore in front of him. <laughs> I, I remember, I forget what it was, but I said something about some. I said ass. And uh, Nate, sorry if you have to if you have to delete that or delete that out, but. Clay, you looked at me and you're like, wow, it's the first time Trips ever heard that word before. <laughs> <laughs> Was this before or after you so, put the dot in the face with a snowball? <laughs> yeah, I have a bit. Of- <laughs> Yeah, which I don't have very good aim with the snowballs. That was one of the worst moments, the most mortifying moments of my time as an uncle was hitting dot squarely in the chest with a snowball as fast as I could throw it. 
And she was only two years so, old, so not that big of a deal. I mean, she yeah. was practically a grown adult. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, she I know that I remember you described it as, again. you know, life slows down as you realize the snowball <laughs> is flying at somebody, yeah. but there's nothing you can do. But uh, yeah, uh, that, that, I threw that snowball as hard as I could and I just watched it as it just sailed straight to dot. And I think I, I whispered a prayer of, Lord, please don't let that hit her. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just directly hit her in the chest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know who you were aiming at if it was me, but I wasn't even anywhere close. So yeah, yeah, that one definitely, yeah. it got away from you. And Yeah, it got away. Yeah, bad it got way. away. But uh, anyway, so the whole idea here is free-flowing, but I try to kind of focus on, uh, you know, just kind of wh- how people get to where they were and maybe just yeah. share tips, tricks, just all that sort of kind of good stuff along the way. So the idea here, kind of my free flowing idea is, I mean, how the heck did you ever land a job at Google? I mean, what all went into that? <laughs> there had to have been a ton of life experiences and yeah. all sorts of little nooks and crannies that eventually got you to the point where you, you were able to land a job at, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I brag about, I love when people are like, oh yeah, what does your brother-in-law do? He works for Google. Like I, I brag it up all the time because who can say they works yeah. for Go- they work for Google? Not that many people. <laughs> Now, I don't want to offer too many spoilers because I know kind of some broad, but I mean, I guess I'll let you, where, where do you want to pick this up? But where did you, I will attest, you have a good work ethic and you have a good kind of outlook on life. I mean, so where did all this kind of stuff come from as far as just your mentality towards life in general? I know you do not play the victim card. So where did this non-victim <laughs> card mentality come from? Yeah, I, I know that, uh, I know that the, to speak and to do millennial speak, I know that the victim card is a trigger uh, for you, for you, Clay. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as the victim card gets played, your blood pressure goes through the roof. <laughs> oh, it does. I can't. I, I just recorded another podcast note. today that uh, this lady. In fact, I think I may still have it up. Let me. Uh, let's see, but because it'll play before this ever airs. So I mean, but yeah. um, this lady wrote wrote a book, and uh, the name of her book is Squeezed. Why are, why are families can't afford America? And oh the quote gosh. from her is this. <laughs> stop, <laughs> listen, stop blaming yourself and start blaming the system. No stop, way. Yeah, it says stop blaming the system. <laughs> so I was thinking, huh, and you know, basically her premise is, look, listen, companies, they're not paying enough. Wages are not rising quick enough. So you yep. gotta blame the system. And I thought, you know, that's kind of goofy. So I quickly Googled, <laughs> Smartphone statistics. You want to take a guess at how many Americans own smartphones on a percentage basis? Oh, take a guess. It's got to be 90%. Low, 77%, which when you oh, think man. about it, okay, you have the older generation. Three out like, of four. Yeah, grandpas and grandmas. So you take them out and that basically puts it at 90%, like you're saying. <laughs> so then it got me thinking, oh, and here's the other quote that they said, or, or her, uh, where is that line? Oh, from the article. Salaries just don't go as far as they did do, or as far as they did to cover the necessities. So then that necessities word really got me thinking. <laughs> necessities, blame the system. I, I, I don't think there's any laws out there, Mark, that say you and I have to own a smartphone. I'm, I'm not aware of any that say you have to own that. So I don't know. Is it really the system's <laughs> fault? And then I, 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 and then just because I'm a geek and I follow this stuff, I was like, wait a second. I noticed something from the jobs report last month. And for you listeners, in a nutshell, a job report is just the government releases something and says, hey, the, there were more jobs created in the economy, or hey, there were less jobs created in the economy. In fact, 
the economy shrunk from the job perspective. So that's what a jobs report is. So last month, as of uh, July of 2018, remember, it's, it's, it's the system's fault because necessities are hard to pay for. Listen to this, Mark. The second biggest sector of job growth, second biggest, when it's, it's not the people's fault, it's the system's fault, is leisure and hospitality sector. <laughs> so quick business lesson. If you are hiring people as a business, that means you're getting a lot of money sent to you. That means people are spending money on your product because, wow, all these people are spending money. I need more people to help. Therefore, I'm going to create a job. So if the second biggest job creation came from leisure and hospitality, um, that would imply that a lot of people are spending money on leisure and hospitality. What is leisure and hospitality? And just bear with me, Mark. Like I said, you already pressed that, the, the button. I'm just going off. So from the article, leisure and hospitality also, also posted a strong month, adding to the sector's solid gains in May and June. So it's already been growing, but now it's growing that much more with 40,000 more jobs. This industry includes jobs such as performing arts, spectator sports, museums, and food services. Mark, would you, does going to an NFL game, is that like a necessity? I don't is know if that's a necessity, as, but... Avocado toast is for sure on a Saturday morning. <laughs> are you making it or are you going out for it? Yeah, you're going out for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're that's must cra- be one that's of these craziness, people. though. No, yeah, that's so, craziness. So, I mean, it's amazing what little stats can do where this person is blame the system. Oh, people have a hard time affording the necessities. Mark, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong here, but is, no, is, there, is there a potential that maybe the reason people are having a hard time affording lights? affording childcare, affording uh, a housing payment is maybe because half their wage is going to their smartphones and yeah. sporting events and museums and going out to eat. Is that at least a plausible possibility? Yeah, it, most definitely. And it's interesting because, you know, I was thinking about this earlier to your, to your initial question. And I think it ties into this here is I was out and about the other day and I saw these, I saw these two kids at the grocery store, right? And I'm, I'm just there doing some grocery shopping and and both of these kids are wearing like basketball gear, right? So they have like the brand new Kevin Durant shoes. They have the three-quarter length Under Armour like compression tights. They have like the the Steph Curry Under Armour basketball shorts. And then they have like the the, the Under Armour basketball shirts, like the, all of it matching. And these kids are probably like seven or eight. And I began thinking to myself like, I mean, you can play basketball for a lot less. Like you can be a really good basketball player. Like I think you should invest in a good pair of shoes that are going to not, not make your ankles get sprained, but you can, you can, you can show up and play the sport on a lot less. I think it ties to your point is it's like these things that have creeped in and become necessities in our lives are like, you know, if you're going to be a seven year old in the local rec league basketball, who probably isn't that good, let's as parents, let's take our kids out and totally gear them up and then complain that we don't have enough money for like, you know, disposable stuff or, you know, like the necessities, like we don't have enough money for that because we spent all this money on gearing our kids up and they're going to grow out of that in like a year and it doesn't have any tangible impact. I'm like, dude, you don't even sweat. Like, why do you need sweat wicking gear? You're seven. Like I'm a sweaty guy. I need the sweat wicking gear. I don't even wear it. It's crazy. Hey, stop blaming yourself and start blaming the system. That's the quote. I I had to read it about 10 times when I first read it. But, uh, so, but I mean, it's crazy. what's What's crazy to me though is, how hopeless how hopeless of a attitude that promotes because if you stop and think about it, it's like 
okay, so if you're not the problem and it's the system, then there's literally nothing you can do about it because it's the system. But if it's actually you that are the problem, guess what? That means that you're also the solution. So I mean, for this person to be writing a book that promotes such a depressing hopelessness, almost like a cruel life outlook, life philosophy, that's messed up because how depressing is that to have somebody telling you, yeah, there's nothing you can do. You got to just blame the system. You're just, it's the system's fault. That's so bad. And imagine being a parent who imparts that, imparts that onto their child at a young age where it's like, yes, the system. No, it's not. I think, I think like anything, I think there are some things that, you know, we can always improve and there's certain ways in which our society can improve and evolve and become better. But that that's small when you compare the reality that your life can be when you're willing to take responsibility for everything in your life. Like every single thing uh, you need to take responsibility for and do whatever you can to improve your lot in life. So yeah, that's, I swear, Clay, I, it's, I just, uh, thinking of that headline, it's like, that's just, that's going to drive you nuts. Do you like, do you lose sleep over this? Well, no, it's, it's funny. This, uh, the article, uh, I started recording the podcast three hours after this article hit. So I read the article (laughs) and my blood just went through the roof. So I just started, because I saw that jobs report. I'm like, no, that's garbage. I just saw a jobs report where hospitality and leisure was the second most, you know, where most jobs are being created. And then I thought, you know, I got to do a, what's a relatable statistic? Oh yeah, smartphones. So, but yeah, I I, I recorded that three hours after that article hit. And I was just, you know, I, I, I give everybody... Uh, you know, the the benefit of the doubt. And then I see right here, there's a video and you play, why millennials are struggling in a booming economy. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, man. We'll just, I don't know. I mean, it, like I said, by the time this airs, go back. It's on the, sh- if you want to listen to the whole breakdown, yeah. you can go back and listen to that episode. Um, but, all right, so I know you went to school or, or to college, yeah. but I mean, where, where did this all, where did it all start for you? I guess kick us off wherever you want yeah. to start off with, but. Let's let's kind of hear the yeah. story. Yeah, most definitely. I think it starts with the blessing that is being born into and having engaged, present, and involved parents. Um, and I, I think that's where it all has to start for me. I come from an, a bit of an interesting background in that um, my dad is actually a Christian minister. He's been a pastor for over 30 years, uh, is very, very good at what he does, has a doctorate degree. Um, and has been a, been a pastor and has invested his life in people and teaching, in this case, teaching the Bible and the truths of the Bible, you know, to a church congregation for so long. And uh, my mom actually uh, had a master's degree in education, and she actually retired from that and um, stayed at home and raised uh, my older brother, myself, and my younger brother, and actually homeschooled us all the way through eighth grade. Um, and then from there, I went to public high school um, and and uh, and then went on to college. But I think it starts there, and it starts. You know, to your earlier point around like the system being the issue, it, it starts with, I think, with parents that are engaged and are involved in their kids' lives and are willing to do, you know, to be present and to help. And at the same time, to teach them like there isn't a lot of things that are going to be handed to you in life. There just isn't. That's kind of just the reality of things. Life isn't fair. And there's not going to be a lot of things that get handed to you. And if there are things that get handed to you, you should be grateful for them and not, you know, say, why weren't more things handed to me? Um, so for me, I think to start, I just, I was raised in a very solid grounding household. Um, and I, I think what I, in thinking about it and kind of how to where I got here, you know, I really struggled mightily. I struggled mightily in school. I was a 
terrible student. Um, and not for lack of effort. I was just a terrible student. I had really high test anxiety. Um, I struggled to comprehend. I struggled to remember. And, you know, going back to parents, like my, my dad literally in high school, uh, most nights would read me, uh, my, my science textbook and my math textbook. And he would help me think through and solve, you know, problems on a, on a nightly basis. And so, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that you can't, you can't, um, you can't underestimate the role that it has in your life, having engaged parents are involved. And so, um, let me ask you this real quick. I think, yeah. Uh, what would you say to the person that says, well, Mark, my parents weren't engaged, you know, and maybe I grew up in a single parent household. Maybe I I don't know. But so, yeah. What about me? What am I, I mean, how would you answer that situation? What would be the advice that you would give to that, you know, younger person, or I guess really of any age, maybe somebody's 40, 50 and they're still hanging on to the fact that their parents weren't involved. What would you say in that situation? Yeah, I would say that there's uh, a lot of people who are willing and able to come alongside and be involved in your life in the form of mentors. Uh, and what I would say, and what I've done is, you know, at the end of the day, my, my, my folks aren't perfect. They're wonderful people, but like there's been times when I've felt as though I needed to go, you know, seek expertise as it relates to sales and as it relates to business. And, you know, my dad, I can go to him for anything but there's also a level of expertise. And so what I've done is I've, you know, cold emailed, cold called, reached out to people that I respected and said, Hey, um, I'll meet you anywhere at any time and I'll buy you lunch or I'll buy you coffee if I can just have an hour of your time and I'll come prepared with, you know, three questions and I'll take detailed notes and we'll implement it into my life. Are you, are you willing to do that? And you'd be amazed at the amount of people when you approach them like that in a respectful way that respects their time. And you show up as a student who's willing to just sit and take notes and listen. People are very open to that. And, you know, um, you know, I spent, I spent the last four years before Google at ZipRecruiter, um, where I was in sales roles and I was in a management role for two years and about a, a year into a sales management role, I was just, I didn't, I was, I was struggling a bit. Like I didn't know, I, I felt like I'd kind of hit my limit and I actually cold emailed uh, a friend of a friend who was a leadership coach. And I just said, hey, I, I can't afford you, um, but would you be willing to meet me on a biweekly basis? And just, I just, I, I'll, I'd love to just talk through scenarios that are happening to me as a leader, and I value your opinion. And what ended up happening is I worked with a professional leadership coach, this guy, for a full year. And he basically said, just pay me what you can pay me, and I'll meet you every other week for a full year for an hour. And, uh, and it drastically improved my leadership. I think to your point, I think if, you know, you reach a point where you have to be willing to like take responsibility and say, Hey, this situation isn't as good as I want it to be. What am I going to do to impact change and to like, and to make it happen and to move this thing forward? Because if not, you just end up wallowing in doubt and self-pity and, and that's a, that's not a good place to be in general. It really isn't. And to you, what I like about you, I, I didn't know, I did not know you did that. So that that's super cool. But to your, the great thing about what you did is I mean, as a, from a, this is kind of my, my, my trading perspective coming out, but you look at things, risk versus reward. Okay. So the yeah. risk of asking somebody is you get a no. Okay. Well, you, you, your risk was the, the five minutes it, ty- it took you to type up the email or whatever. But the reward is what you just benefited a year, pay me whatever you can. And I mean, so from a risk versus reward scenario, yeah, I, I, I fully agree. It's, it's worth at least asking. I mean, I'd, I didn't hear you say that you would guarantee that people would be wanting no. to do it, but 
if you ask enough people and play that risk versus reward, there's there's going to be somebody out there that's it's going to be willing to walk alongside you. Um, and yep, I, I think that's a, a very logical way to go about things. And to yeah, just, absolutely. To, and it's a it's a way to like you just have to take ownership of what's going on and say I think I need to improve here. And how do I and how do I make that happen? And I don't know if that's just like I don't know if that's a personality thing. I just don't have a ton of fear, and it's probably from being in sales and the reality of you know, cold calling and cold emailing and, you know, basically having, you know, 15, 20 seconds of someone's time and trying to create value. But I just have a mentality when it comes to that stuff where I'm not afraid to call, I'm not afraid to email and ask someone, you know, for advice or for their thoughts or and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's I'm how a, I would approach it. I'm a little biased and my, my theory kind of falls through because Paul did not play football, but I know you played football and I feel like if you're willing to run across the middle or if you're willing to just yeah. throw your body out there, there's something wrong with you upstairs. I mean, what, what are we doing yeah. out there? Throw, but <laughs> there's also the flip side of the mentality where it's like, hey, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I, I, I may get, you know, I may get blindsided. I may just get smoked here. Or who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll be the one that's, you know, smoking the person. But I mean, uh, uh, so I don't, go but like it. I said, my theory falls through with Paul because he did not play football because his, his football coach wouldn't pay him five bucks an hour or, or, or an hour yeah. or whatever. But uh, what did you think about story. that? Nego- yeah, you had to like that negotiation. Yeah, great negotiation. Tactic. Yeah, that was a great tactic. I loved it. Five dollars yeah. an hour. The coach. I mean, I feel like with the state of uh, college football these days, someone could have found some way to get him five dollars an hour <laughs> to shore up their offensive line, right? Yeah, especially. I mean, you never seen Paul in person, but he is a, he is a big fella. So yeah, you would have thought nice. that. Uh, but anyways, that's besides the point. Yeah. So, all right, I thought I might have stumped you with that question, but. That was good because yeah. I, I try to, I'm always trying to think ahead. All right. What would somebody with a victim mentality try to come back with, with their excuse? But I would say yeah. that's that you, 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 um, not rebuffed, you, um, paired <laughs> like in sword fighting, yeah. don't you pair or whatever you paired that yeah. off very well. So anyways, I think, proceed. I think the other, the other component I was going to say is like, I think early on there was a, there's two things that happened in my early development was. One is I wasn't really good at a lot of things. And I, I don't say that to be self-deprecating. I just like from a school perspective, I was very much uh, C, consistent C student, sometimes D student. Like I, I just wasn't that great of a student. And so I kind of got used to failing. I got used to not being good at things. And I at some point accepted the fact, probably when I was in college, that it was okay. Like it was okay to not be good at school. It was okay to not necessarily have the ability to like have this amazing recall on tests. And I began to realize that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much how you do in school. Okay. And I think so, I, I was able okay. to internalize that. It, it, it Caveat, it does if you are going well, to be <laughs> Well, no, I, I want to make doctor. sure that when you're saying it doesn't matter to not be good, I just want to make sure you're just not like saying that at life because that's bad. But yeah. when you're, you kept prefacing by it's okay to not be good at school. Because yeah. uh, you don't know this, but the other people that will that will air before this interviews, they're also um, I don't think either of them have college degrees, and they are also yep. very successful people. So there's a theme here where uh, actually of the four that people I've interviewed, Paul is the only person. So well, I guess you have a college degree too, but yeah, none of these people are like, yeah, I flew through school, I was yeah. good at school, so I would fully agree. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to you long, young listeners out there, Mark. And I, we're not saying to like not try your best at school, but if you just struggle, we assure you it is not the end of the world because schoolwork, listen back to Paul's podcast and, you know, he'll tell you his thoughts about a GPA. And we'll just say that 
not being good at school is, a, you know, that, that's something that I would agree with. It's okay to accept and yeah. kind of just realize that, but um, don't, don't, and at the end of the day, that what's important is the effort and like, and not just in a, and not in the sense of like everyone gets a participation trophy. Okay. But in the good. sense of like, I, <laughs> no, it's, it's not that, but it's like at the end of the day, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I did my best, I prepared, I studied, I gave this my best effort and I'm not tied to the results. Um, I think that's where I was able to get to, you know, in high school. And so, I think I became very comfortable with just the reality that like, it's okay to not necessarily be good at everything. Um, and I think my parents didn't put a ton of pressure on me. I think going back to parenting, I think they, they recognized and they praised the effort. They recognized and they praised hard work. They recognized and they praised perseverance. They didn't praise or harp on, you know, you have to have a 4.0 in order to be successful, or you have to have a 3.8 or whatever the case may be. And I think that was so critical um, to my development was the reality of like, it's okay to not be good at everything. And it's okay. I mean, if you put in your, if you put in your best effort and you gave it your best, you can, at the end of the day, you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, I, I did the best I can kind of learn to free yourself from the results, which I think is really critical. And what's, as you say all that in the real world, that translates usually to success. So here's an example. Let's say you, you pick up a job and you know I'm not going to school, I wanna become a plumber. And that's, I mean, plumbing jobs, talk about an in-demand job. So let's go with plumber. Yes. If you try your best, like what Mark's saying, and, and, and give it your all, what does that mean? Well, it means you showed up on time. It means you listen to the person. It means you ask questions if you needed to, so you were humble. Because that's what a hard, you know, if you're going to try your best, that means you got to be humble and learn. I mean, think about how, how is that? You're not going to fail in that situation. Sure, maybe on a test, you're going to fail when things are black and white. Nope, you got it wrong. But I mean, if you get it wrong with like a plumber, it's like, no, 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 just tighten it that way. So on a test, tighten it that way. Okay, you got that wrong. But in the real world, it's, it's, it's a, a second correction. Okay, just do that. So I think, yeah. and so I fully agree is that if you actually just, are always trying your best, giving it your best effort. In most cases, in the real world, that's going to translate to some sort of success, or it's going to reflect nicely on you. Because I mean, if somebody showed up to me, and you could tell they, well, first off, they showed up, they showed up on time, their breath doesn't smell like booze, their eyes aren't, you know, uh, all red or whatever from the Mary Jane they were hanging out with last night, and you know, they actually listen and are, and are humble. I think good that would reflect on them, even if maybe they fail at whatever I'm trying to teach them the first few times. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a, it's the disciplined act of showing up consistently and faithfully, and showing up and giving your best effort day in and day out. And like I said, it's not a not, it's not you know show up and do nothing and you get a participation trophy. Right. That means show up and and get, like work your hardest. Like control what you can control. Give it your best effort. Be teachable. Be coachable. Um, and just keep doing it day in and day out. Um, and I think that, that, that leads to success. At the end of the day, if you're going to be a doctor, I don't want a doctor that's just showing up and, you know, not tying, not tying himself or herself to the results, but for the rest of us, you know, it's, it's just the way that I've, I've, I found some, you know, some, uh, some moderate success here. Yeah. And I still remember it's one of the, uh, lines that have always stuck with me from, from college, but I had one of the engineering professors like, yeah, you can use your te- you can use whatever you want on a test and we're like, "All right, books, notes." And he looked at the class and was like, "Listen. The real the real world is not a closed book test, okay? So, yes, you can use whatever you want during this any test." And I was just like, "That's that's actually so true." 
in my mind, school is a scam in that way. School does not teach the way that it works in the real world. The real world is it's all about how do you search through information in a time efficient manner. So I, don't, I have no idea how I got on this topic, but regardless, I'm gonna, I'm gonna complain about schools real quick. What, do you th- what are your thoughts on this, Mark? I propose that from kindergarten all the way through college, everything should be open book because the most valuable person is the person that can search through information the quickest and in the most efficient time. But if all you're, if you're never taught and never forced to be able to develop that skill, you're actually not going to be that good at life because that's really what life is. Because life is not a closed book test; it's about your ability to efficiently get things done. So, I mean, would you support that sort of uh, philosophy? Everything should be open book in school in order to teach um, time efficiency in terms of finding information. I think your next step is into politics, Clay. I think that's the next step. That sounds like a good, uh, a good, good banner there. Yeah, I think so. I think there's probably some value in. Um, and being able to like memorize and retain, but once you get once you get older, it doesn't really matter. And I think all to right, your point, that's true. That's true because if you're point, like, it's like it's some yeah, yeah. multiplication. <laughs> just, a kid it, could just be like, okay, that times that. Yeah. Okay, so all right, maybe I'd have this is good. So maybe there's some stipulations after you learn how to read and do basic, yeah. of, you know, math. Okay, there we go. I, I could get on board with that, but take keep going with yeah. your point. Yeah, no, I think it's I think you're spot on, and I think at the end of the day. Um, most jobs are being able to sift through information, consolidate information, and then communicate on information. And I think if you can do that well, uh, you can do really well. And I think at the end of the day, it's just about you know being consistently giving it your best and and, and honing your craft day in and day out. Um, so you kind of asked how I how I got to Google. Um, it's a it's an interesting and a long. I don't know if it's, I shouldn't say it's interesting. I mean, I, so well, I want I want to hear like, about that first job. Oh, I, personally, I, I personally think your first job was pretty. <laughs> We're we're taking yeah. the long route. We're 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 taking the marathon yeah. route to Google. So the the first yeah. job. Well, I guess I don't really know if it was your first job. But where did you end? You ended up going to University of Cincinnati. Yeah, so I went to University of Cincinnati, and I think um, one of the things that I was able to do, or that I was I did, was every summer. So I, I graduated high school, and literally like two weeks later, I was working my first real job, which was maintenance at Indian Hill High School. <clears throat> and you know. If you've ever been in Ohio in the summertime, you'll know it's hot and you'll know it's humid. And um, this was a job that paid really, really well, like for a summer job. And I can remember on the first day, my boss, a guy named Chet, uh, Chet looked at my older brother and I who had the job and he said, listen, guys, here's the deal. The first time you show up late, I'll send you home for the day with no pay. That's it. That's <laughs> I love the first this time. guy. And keep in mind, I started, the job started, I think at 7 a.m. It was 7 to 3.30 every day in the summertime. You, and I'm an eight, 18 year old. Could you imagine that in this day and age? That guy would be sued I feel like an old grandpa. Age. No, like, you'd be, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, people would file, file an HR report that they felt attacked. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, those are the, we were getting old and crusty. Yeah. You and I both. Yeah, I mean, old the and good crusty. old days, Mark, when people, oh my goodness. So, but so, anyway, so I that's like the Chet. first day. He's a good so, guy. yeah, Chet, Chet was great. The toughest boss I've ever had. So, first day you show up late and like 701, if you're not clocked in, that's late. So uh, first time you show up late, I send you home with no pay. Second time you show up late, I fire you on the spot. Uh, the, <laughs> I love <laughs> this it. Is our, this is my first day, first real job. I'm sitting across the table, you know, with my with my older brother. Second day, so second day you show up late, I fire you on the spot. He said, "Guys, the reality is, there's ten other people waiting behind you for this job. It pays really well. It's hard work. It's a great place to be. So don't be late." And that something about that just kind of burned in my mind. And my brother and I worked there for three summers um, and it helped pay for a lot of college, 
and we were never late uh, ever for three summers, ever. I was there at 6.45 every day, every single day, five days a week, um, was never late. And that just rang in my head. So that was the first job. And the job was, it was very non-glamorous. It was my first, my first day, they walked us to the varsity uh, weight room and they said, all right, here's your first task. All of these weight machines need to be moved to a completely different building. So <laughs> get started. And I, I don't know if you've ever moved like a li- like weight machines. It is, it is a nightmare. It is the most grueling, like moving a rack of like racks, plural of 45 pound plates from like a sitting position onto a truck, unload them off the truck into the new weight room. And then even moving like bench presses and elliptical machines and treadmills. And we would literally load them up into a van and then drive them to a new place and then unload them. That was the first, I would say, two weeks. And it was, it was, it was backbreaking, painful work. I never want to move a, a weight room again. <laughs> so, and then after we, after we did that, we graduated to other tasks like weed, weed whacking. So he basically would send you out into a field and say, All, every tall piece of grass that you see along this fence, which is, you know, school, it's huge. I need you to weed whack all of that. I'll see you in, you know, I'll see you at lunchtime. And so you just would take a weed eater and you just weed whack all day long, never ending when it's like a hundred degrees and humid outside. And so that was my first job. And I just really got indoctrinated to the reality of hard work. I think what was, was cool about that is I was able to be around guys who, uh, you know, were maintenance workers for a living. Like that was their job. And they're wonderful people. They invited us to their house and they worked really, really hard. They worked 40 hours a week and they provided for their family. And so I think I was raised very much to work hard and to you know be good at your job and to take it seriously, and I think that helped solidify that in my mind. Was like, hey, these are really great blue collar guys, and they didn't go to college, and it's okay, and they make good money, and they're fine, and going to college is less of a right as it is a privilege. And so, you know, when I would when I would hit school, you know, for the upcoming semester. I took it seriously and I was engaged because it was like, man, I'm just glad to not be moving weight rooms, you know, for, for the first, you know, two weeks or like weed eating or like digging trenches. Like there was, we used to pack two t-shirts. The first t-shirt would be the first half of the day. Then you just like wring that one out and hang it off to dry and then get a fresh shirt for the second half of the day. That's so I think st- I started off with that just being like, okay, you have to work. Like there's no, there's no reality. And, and like my parents weren't big. Like I never did like a, much interning or like study abroad or that stuff all sounds super cool. But it was like, Hey, my dad had a, had a, had a goal that he would, all three of his kids would graduate college debt free. And, uh, you know, this is on a pastor's salary, uh, you know, uh, given a very successful pastor's salary in a, you know, in a, in a good city and whatnot, but like one income, three kids go through college. Like I think to your point earlier, the victim card mentality, my dad could have been like, Oh, woe is me. Like, I, I can't afford college. It's so expensive. He didn't have the mentality at all. He had right. Well, it's the this lady's of, point. You're going to work. Your I'm gonna dad work. could blame the system, and well, um, my wage isn't high enough. My wage isn't good enough. He could have totally taken yeah. that victim mentality that this woman is, you know. And he took the mentality. We drove. With. We drove really old. We drove really old cars. Um, he was very. They were. They were frugal, and they they made it work, and they made it happen. And I, I'll, I'll forever be grateful, uh, you know, for that experience and that opportunity. So I spent I spent the first two years at a, at a small Christian school called Cedarville University, um, and I, I I didn't really I wasn't crazy about it. It was a great school. It was a wonderful place. Um, I could go in a bunch of detail about it, but it ended up basically at the end of the at the end of my second year, I had skipped. So you're so backstory. You're actually required to go to chapel five days a week, 
and uh, you couldn't wear jeans during the during the school day. And um, at the end of my second year, I had skipped so many chapels <laughs> that I was facing <laughs> I was facing a pretty I was facing the reality of bringing home my dad a pretty significant fine. So they fined you if you skipped more than like I forget what it was. It's like you had like fifteen chapels you could skip, and then you're written up. And then like another 15, you're written up again. Then another 15 is like, okay, you're clearly not getting the message. So we're just going to fine you. <laughs> and so I hit the threshold of being fined. And so I just went home and I, we just made the decision it wasn't the right fit. So I transferred to University of Cincinnati where I spent the next, next two and a half years uh, and graduated from there. What I was able to do at University of Cincinnati is go to school during the day and then work at night. I waited tables and then I, I worked um, in the summertime. I would get up really early or not in the summertime, but during the, when it was warm out, I should say. I would get up really early and I worked on the grounds crew uh, at this golf club. It was a country club and I would cut grass. I would rake sand traps and just do all the manual labor stuff. And I would get on the course, usually about 4.45. You'd have to be on the course. And then um, you know, I'd, I'd work until you know noon. And then I'd go to class and I'd do class for the rest of the day. And that's how I, that's how I made it through you know, the second half of my, my college experience was working in the morning and then going to school. And then in the wintertime, I would just go to school and then I would wait tables at the country club at night. So a combination of all that stuff allowed me to, you know, with, you know, with the generous help of my, you know, my dad, who his vision was to help with college. I graduated college with no debt and about, you know, $600 to the positive uh, net worth. So I, I count that as one of the biggest accomplishments, you know, of my life. And I, I'm, I'm so looking back on the mentality that I was raised with is clear that, you know, my parents didn't have a victim mentality. They had the mentality of, you know, work hard, get it done, you know, graduate in the positive, that'd be a huge win. Yeah. They looked in the mirror. They, they were, they were bl not necessarily, bl well, they were blaming themselves, but because they blamed themselves, they also knew that they had full control of things, not just blaming exactly. some external system that, well, it's hopeless. There's what, what can we do about it? So that's good stuff. And do I you think have any they did a good job. They did a good job of being like, of it was not just on them. Like, I think there's something to be said about the fact that I had to own, I couldn't, I, I, don't, I think it would be, I don't want to use the word unfair. I, I don't think it, I think it would have been different if they were like, hey, you're going to take 90% and we're going to take 10 or 95 and 5. If they did that, that would have been their choice. And that's, you know, so is life. But I'm very grateful for the fact that it wasn't like just the whole responsibility was dumped on me at the age of 18 with, you know, limited earning ability. Um, so there was a good balance there of like my ownership, but they also were personally invested in it and wanted to make it happen as well. No, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, I guess I'll speak for them, and this is an assumption, so I don't know if this is right, but I think they were probably more than happy to help knowing that you were busting your tail the way you were in, in terms of waking yeah. up early, going to... So it's not like you were taking anything for granted. I mean, I would say you no. were very appreciated, appreciative of it, and that wasn't just empty words either. You were putting action behind it um, with you just getting out yeah. there and, and breaking a sweat and waiting tables. And did you ever... like? So were these like high net worth individuals you'd be waiting tables on and stuff like that? Yeah. So it's funny. So we actually, it was a country club, high net worth people, and they're pretty particular. And I was a, I wasn't a really good waiter at all. Like I was, I would forget stuff routinely. I actually spilled a beer down the back of the GM shirt my first day. Like <laughs> he, he ordered a beer and I like took it, I like set the drink down and then the, the beer like shifted and it was in slow motion. And uh, I couldn't stop the momentum of the beer. And he was like looking, talking as the beer tipped and like, as it was pouring down the back of his shirt, it landed on the back of his neck. The, the glass did, dumped all the beard on the back of his shirt and then bounced onto the ground and shattered. And this is like day one. And I was like, I am the worst waiter of all time. And I for, <laughs> you, I for one second do not 
um, not believe that story because my story to kind of piggyback off of this is I'm pretty sure the first time myself, and I don't know if it was my the first time my parents met you when you were dating my sister. Do you remember the pool and the ladder? Yes. Yes. So it's like the first time he's just like meeting the family. Hey, let's go swimming at my parents' pool. And then you bust the ladder to the pool and you totally like <laughs> break it. I just or, broke a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you just broke it. So it was that right on cue. I mean, that's kind of. <laughs> yeah, I guess right on cue. It's, yeah, your, your MO is. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and so I went, so I went from there. I graduated, I graduated college and I had the uh, unique ability or not ability, unique well, opportunity, you get your I should in? say. So I, I majored in communication, um, okay. which, you know, I know I listened to one of your podcasts earlier, which was excellent about you know, a uh, college dad and like solving that issue. And like, I, I, I think I just, I realized that, you know, college for me was a bit of a, I don't want to say it was a formality, but I knew I wasn't going to go into anything super technical. I, I wasn't going to be an engineer. I wasn't going to be a lawyer. I wasn't going to be a doctor. I wasn't going to be an accountant. I had no interest in that stuff. So I just, I just halfway through, I was like, you know, I'm already halfway through this. I just got to finish this out and get a degree. And it's interesting because like a communication degree I don't remember much of it um, except for the fact that I had to stand and present regularly and have basically be yelled at by a, by a teacher who was very, uh, by professors who were like there to teach you how to communicate and how to stand and present. And that's been one of the most valuable things that I've carried over into my professional career is I'm very comfortable standing in front of a group of people and presenting. Uh, and I think that's, that's served me really, really well. So I'm not all in on my college is the only way for sure, but I think there is some nuggets you can take from it, at least from my perspective, where it's like, hey, this was a skill set that I was able to hone um, in college. So, And I'm not, I mean, if you uh, want to graduate from college with a PhD in lumberjacking, that's totally fine. If you're going to graduate, like in Mark's situation, with a yeah. $600 net worth, like that's that's great. You wor- He worked his tail off. He was blessed with the situation. To have parents that were gonna, you know, to help out. So, I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, so I, I fully agree. It sounds like it was well worth it. I mean, get whatever degree yeah. you want if you're going to be graduating with a network, a positive net worth. I mean, of of whatever. Yep. So. Um, yeah, and I think that's the biggest the biggest benefit is just like not having not having student debt, which which freed me up to take a, a relatively a pretty unique opportunity. I had the opportunity to work for a for a faith based organization called Athletes in Action, which is a. Um, it's a it's a Christian missions group that basically uses the platform of sports around the globe uh, to help unite countries, um, uh, talk about a common faith, a common you know common values, and things like that. And so, I had the opportunity to go and be the personal assistant to the president of the organization, uh, a guy named Mark Householder. And um, so, I spent two and a half years. And the thing that's unique about Athletes in Action is that in order to join their staff, you commit that you will raise your salary benefits, everything you know, through, through private donations. So that's what I ended up doing was basically um, soliciting private donations on a monthly basis, on an annual basis, just to get, just to get paid. Um, and so it, it, it did help having a dad who's a pastor. I was able to, you know, there's a lot of people who are definitely willing and able to like step up and support me financially. And I, I, I was able to, you know, do that for two and a half years. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience. I got to travel a bunch. I got to be pretty much front row seat and watching uh, an individual who I would describe as a world-class leader um, run a faith-based organization and do it in a, in a, in a well in a well-done manner, and so I did that for two years, two and a half years. I was actually in Xenia, Ohio, um, where I lived for two and a half years. That's where I lived in the family's basement, um, and then lived for free with my buddy Bill and, and Pete. 
Um, and so I did that for two and a half years and, and it really was at the end of the day, it, it's sales. I mean, you have to be willing to sit in front of someone on a Saturday and lay out the reason why you're doing what you're doing, the value of it and, and the value of, uh, you know, sports is a common language that our globe, our world speaks. I mean, there's so many dividing factors in our culture right now. You can look at, you know, politics, you can look at, um, well, politics being the biggest one. You can also look at like location. You can look at, there's so many things, but across the world, like if two teams line up to play a game of soccer, like we just saw in the World Cup, people stop and watch. And what a great place to display, you know, Christian character, values, morals, and to use that platform. And so you have to be willing and able to say, here's what I'm doing. Here's why I'm doing it. And would you be willing to support me with a monthly or annual donation and then pause and let them think about it and let them answer you? And so it was a great experience. And I met and still have wonderful, wonderful relationships with my support base who uh, believed in me, believed in Athletes in Action, and were willing to cut a check on a monthly basis to help me accomplish that goal. And um, I'll be forever grateful for that experience. It's one of the, one of the coolest, uh, most unique experiences in my life. I did it for two and a half years and just absolutely loved it. Um, and so at the end of that, I got a comment because I mean, this is, I don't know, maybe we've had this conversation, but I don't know if I was ever aware that you had to go raise. So you were working at a job, but part of the job was, well, you got to go convince people to pay you in order to pay your own salary. Talk about being thrown into the (laughs) frying pan of, listen, man, you got to get this done. I mean, even for you to, I I think that speaks volumes about you though, because I mean, I, honestly, I don't. I mean, I like to talk a big game. I like to think I'm pretty much like, let's go. I'll get it done. But I don't know. That's that's kind of freaky to think that if that was part of the job description <laughs> is, oh yeah, you have to go hustle. You have to side hustle to get your own, you know, salary paid for. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, what a great experience. I mean, if you're willing to to take that on, props to you. But wow, that's yeah, that's intense it, stuff. <laughs> and you you can't start until you've raised your full salary. So you spend months, you know, kind of thinking about who would be, you know, involved as a, uh, as a donor. And yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. It definitely, you know, my faith has always been something that uh, I hold very near and dear. And it was a great opportunity for me with my own personal, you know, faith to see, you know, to see the blessing of, you know, God working in people's hearts and allowing them to give money to that. So it was, it was an amazing experience. It was unlike anything I've ever done. And I think it was looking back, it was a great training ground, not from just like an individual raise your money just to work, but you know, I had a chance. The value was I get to be around a world class leader, travel with him, run his board meetings, um, like help run his board meetings, interact with a board of trustees, interact with professional athletes, professional coaches. Like I had lunch with John Harbaugh, and we talked leadership strategy. Mark Householder, president of AIA, myself, and John Harbaugh at the Ravens facility, talking leadership strategy. John and Mark are close friends, and. Uh, and to me, that was that's the type of experience you look at it and you go, man, this is worth, you know, every 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 dollar that I had to, you know, go and raise, uh, yeah. and every all the stuff. Who else? So, I, I remember pretty, you pretty picked cool somebody experience. up at the airport. Who? I mean, you picked up some pretty. Yeah. I mean, who are some of the other athletes and famous people that you've uh, rubbed elbows with? Um, so I think the most famous, uh, probably the, the coolest one is there's a guy named Bart Starr who's the former quarterback of the the Packers. Packers. He won yep. Super Bowl. I think Super Bowl one and Super Bowl two, and he's been very involved uh, in athletes in action. They actually give out the Bart Starr Award every year at what's called a Super Bowl breakfast, which honors you know character in the NFL. And so I had a chance to drive him around, and just an incredible, incredible person. And you know, you just interact with NBA players, NFL players, and at the end of the day, I think we all it's that uniting, 
uniting theme around, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that divide us. Sport is kind of a common language that the world speaks. And, you know, when there's an athlete on a platform that's willing and able to, you know, give glory to God, that's willing and able to talk about character. And that's not just going to be like, yeah, it's all about the money. It's all about the women. It's all about the cars that no, that says I'm, I'm grateful to God for this opportunity. And my faith is important to me. That was a really cool thing to be a part of. And I, I absolutely loved it. That's awesome. And you ended up in China too, right? It wasn't for the Olympics. Yeah. It's a crazy story too. So I, um, I, I was a very average high school basketball player. I, I was like, I used to joke that. So we played in the GMC conference and Milford high school, where I went to high school was a, the smallest school in the, uh, in the GMC, which is the largest, uh, public, um, the public largest public school conference in Ohio. And, we and this is, let, I just, let me uh, just to yeah. add a little more context. I mean, this is what like, um, Cincinnati Moeller, right? Or are they the, they were yeah. the private Catholic school one, weren't they? Yeah. Like, they're Mo- private Catholic. So, for, but yeah, like elder, I mean, Catholic. I'll put it this way. Like, yeah. you know, Texas has big football, Pennsylvania has big football. Like that, the league that Mark's talking about is this is like, well, who's, who's, who's the, the pitter? Is that elder stadium? Cincinnati elders? That would have been elder. Yeah. So like Cole rain football Cole rain, pretty yeah. well known. They won a yeah. bunch of high school championships, but isn't the, so, is it elder stadium? Yeah. Like hold like 20,000 people or 30,000 people or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Re- they call it the cage and it's rage oh, in the cage. Yeah. Cause I remember there was an article. It was like seven, uh, seven best or seven biggest high school stadiums in the country. And I know two were in Ohio, yeah. and I'm pretty sure one was yeah. Cincinnati Elder. So, and they're, yep. so it's, it's a big conference is what, what you're trying to get across is like, this is like big old, huge schools, like brawl, yeah. brawling. Like this is not like Patsy Kate type. <laughs> uh, there's no participation trophies is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah, so my, my, my dream in high school was to play varsity basketball. That's what I wanted to do. It was my dream since I was, you know, sixth grade. And uh, the year I was a senior, I made the varsity team and we were the worst team in the GMC and I was the last player on the bench. So I used to say I was the worst player on the worst team <laughs> in the GMC. <laughs> so that gives a little background. I was <laughs> so worst player on the worst team in the GMC, um, but I had an but opportunity to draft conference. this action. So I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a conference. little redeeming. That's redeeming quality there. <laughs> yeah. So I had an opportunity to go and coach. And I had, I had uh, also during my time at Cincinnati, I was a volunteer uh, manager for the University of Cincinnati men's basketball team. And so there was an opportunity to go and coach basketball clinics in China for eight weeks. And it's, it's funny how things work out. But so there's four of us. I just, I, once again, I, I cold called in. This is before I was joining Athletes in Action and said, hey, I, I heard about this opportunity in passing. I think it'd be a great fit. Um, and they're like, okay, like send us your resume. You know, like I'm not a, I don't really have a ton of legs to stand on when it comes to being a basketball coach. Like I like, I love basketball. I help coach, but I'm not like a pro player or a college player. Anyways, there's four finalists. I was the fourth finalist. Uh, there's three positions. And one of the guys said that he hated to eat Chinese food and he would eat rice for eight weeks. That was his final interview. And his final interview, he said, I hate Chinese food. I'm just going to go over to China and eat rice for eight weeks. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And they're like, okay, you're not a fit because this is part of this is like humanitarian, like building bridges and whatnot. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. this guy gets bounced <laughs> and, and then I'm by default, I get the opportunity. They call me they're like, Hey, so the guy we wanted doesn't eat Chinese food and say only eat rice. So it's your, your next stop. So you want to go? I was like, absolutely. So I had the chance to go and live in China and, and coach and travel all over Beijing and coach youth basketball clinics and, 
it was a, just an incredible experience that I, I, it was amazing. I mean, you know, China is a great place. I fell in love with it. So it was just one of those, it, it kind of goes back to this, what we were talking about earlier is like being kind of ready and able to like jump when someone else is just, just kind of falls apart, you know? Well, not it's, even that. You, you got to take it a step. This. You got to yeah. take it a step further. You have to actually put yourself, I mean, you said, well, by default. Yeah. But had you never cold called, had you never exerted the effort in the first place, the by default would have went to somebody else. So you had already put yourself in exactly. that position. You had already, I mean, there's nothing to be ready for if you don't get yourself in that opportunity in the first place. So um, yeah. cold call. And like and, I said, this was an opportunity that was like, it was just in passing. A friend had said, oh, by the way, they're putting together this group. And I was like, who's in charge of it? And then that's how I got in. And that's that's how it ended up happening. And it was it was an awesome, one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah, that's, I love it. I mean, nobody handed yeah. you that. You had a, you had a, you know, you, yeah. you noticed an opportunity and you, you, the risk versus reward, the worst, that worst that's going to happen yeah. is what? No, we're not, you're not qualified enough. Oh, well, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not like it costs you any money or anything. I mean, so that, that's it, good You know, Clay, it was, a, it was the craziest opportunity too. Like they paid us cash every week. We got like $500 in cash American and they put us up in a hotel and paid for like three of our, our two meals a day. And like, you know, and I, I'm just sitting there like just rolling in cash with no, with no expenses in China. I got to yeah, go to Hong say, Kong. What, what's the exchange? Yeah, I bought a bunch $500 of, dollars in cash. I got a bunch of, you, I bought a bunch of ripoff watches. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the slab money method for sure. <laughs> nice plug. It was, it was by a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience, but I think, so after, after two and a half years of just to fast forward, after two and a half years of athletes in action, you know, two things were going on. Number one, I was, I was, I begun seriously dating your daughter, uh, your daughter. Jeez, that's <laughs> we're leaving it in. <laughs> My sister, uh, your sister. Yeah, Nate, you got to edit that out. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, man, that's like so you I, breaking the ladder in the pool. That's, great. that's you spilling yeah. the beer. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> so I, I had, I had begun seriously dating your sister, who. Um, your sister, uh, my wife, obviously is like one of the like most adventurous, like just coolest, uh, just down for anything types of type of gal. And so she'd actually moved out to Los Angeles after college. She worked by a herself, jobs, saved up her money by herself, Yeah, which, like packed up yes. her Corolla and drove <laughs> yeah. out. Actually, Abby, yeah, Abby, my wife and her went out there together yep. and I would never have done that. So yeah, she's on a different level of her risk tolerance is different than mine. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so, you know, we had started dating long distance and it, we both went to University of Cincinnati. We actually been set up on a blind date and things were progressing really well. And, you know, I'm, she's definitely more, uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more risk adverse than she is. And so we had begun talking about, you know, we wanted to get married. We were talking about our future and the, the decision was like, okay, you can move back to Xenia. Um, and, you know, we probably buy a house, I'll get a job or something, we'll do something. Or I could kind of take a risk and, you know, move to Los Angeles. And, um, you know, at the time, two things were happening. The first, I was reading this awesome book by this guy named Yvonne Chouinard. And it's a book called Let My People Go Surfing. And it's a story of how this guy founded Patagonia, which is obviously now is one of the premier outdoor, you know, apparel and retail companies uh, in, the, in the US, in the world, really. And, you know, I, I started to get this like itch to go work at a cool company. And then at the same time as that, I had a good friend uh, who had told me I should read this book by uh, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, called The Startup of You. And The Startup of You is really just focused on like developing yourself for your career and like what it would look like to get into tech. And I really began to feel a desire, two desires. One, I wanted to marry uh, you know Corey. And the second is I wanted to try to get into tech. 
And so I'm reading these books about tech and, and uh, I just made the decision like, okay, I'm going to you know, pack up all my stuff and kind of take the same trip that Corey made, you know, took a couple of years ahead of me and just go for it and see what happens in Los Angeles. And so I, you know, I saved up money. I think I had about $3,000 total and no job. I didn't know anybody. We had some, some friends who were, let me, would let me stay in their place, uh, in their spare bedroom for the first month. So I had the first month taken care of from a rent perspective, no job, no prospects of a job, no connections except for Corey and her friends. And so I just moved out. I packed up my car and I drove out and uh, went to Los Angeles. And that's about almost almost six years ago. I made the drive to Los Angeles. So just 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 uh, just decided to go for it. And um, and so it was it was a pretty it was a pretty crazy experience. But um, two things happened. I think the first is I got there, I got settled in, and then I decided you know I, my chances of getting an attack are a little bit slim right out the gate. So I need to make I need to start making money. You know I don't want to burn through all my cash. And Corey and I, you know, were engaged and we were set to be married, which, you know, by the way, one of my greatest uh, sales uh, closes, I think, of all time is is getting your dad uh, to agree to let me marry Corey with no job, <laughs> no prospects of a job. <laughs> and uh, I really, I had to sell him on the dream, you know, <laughs> like, I promise I, at some point I will, I think, I, I think I honestly said like, I don't know what I'm going to do for a job, but you have my word that I will work really hard at something and provide for your daughter. Uh, which at the end of the day, she was working. She didn't, you know, she didn't need me to provide fully, but like, that's what, that was what I was up against. It's like, I'm getting married. I don't have a job. I just spent most of my money on a ring. Um, and so that's what I did. I moved out to Los Angeles about six years ago. But you know what you did have? Yeah. And you know what, to you listeners out there that they have, you had a work ethic. You are a quality person. You will show up on time. You will break a sweat. You will just be humble. So you, you maybe didn't have a job, but you had all those things going for you. Yeah, and I think that's what you kind of. And would have you to, agree that's, that's going to take you much further than you know if you're in a kind of a bad situation with yeah. no jobs? If yeah. those personal characteristics, they'll carry you through. They'll 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 things will work themselves out. Yeah, they will. And I and I think you know you've touched on it in previous podcasts, and I think um, it, it bears repeating that at the end of the day, if you are willing to show up consistently on time and give an honest eight hours of work and don't complain, like and do whatever is asked of you and then try to do a little bit extra on top, you're going to quickly set yourself apart, you know, from the field. The, the reality is the field spends a lot of time complaining, uh, wondering why they're in a position, you know, why isn't it, why aren't things better for them? And if you just show up consistently and just, you know, uh, work really hard, you're going to be okay. And so what I did, you know, I, I'd read Yvonne Chouinard's Let My People Go Surfing. And I, I loved, you know, Patagonia. And so I just walked into their retail store in Main Street and I said, hey, my name's Mark. I just moved here. I still have an Ohio driver's license. Um, I'd, I'd love to work at this uh, for Patagonia. And the, the guy was like, okay, well, <laughs> we'll get you an application. <laughs> you know? I was so, I was so like, I was so um, serious about it. I think I was like, so I was like, this is my first big break. I get to work at this company and you know, it's retail. People don't like come like almost sprinting in the door to work retail. They're kind of like, yeah, I kind of have to do this because I have to. But anyways, I got a job at Patagonia working in the retail store. And um, well, curious, you know, the, the was there, a, was, there a, yeah. um, was there a um, hiring now sign on the window? No, there's nothing. Okay. I just walked right. in the door. So there you go. That I, there's, I think there's a, a, a <laughs> great minor point in that is it's always worth asking, even if you don't think. Don't assume. Yeah. All you got to RVR risk versus reward. Just ask. Yeah. Yeah. And I just said I'm just here to work. I'd love to work for this company, and so. I got a job there and it was a seasonal job. I didn't have, I didn't have any benefits. I was, I think I was making like $11 an hour. 
maybe 12. And this is in Los Angeles. Like this is not, and I was, I, they guaranteed me, they said, if we have 40 plus hours if you're willing to work them. And I said, absolutely. I'll take every single hour that you have free, I will take. And that's what I did. And there was times I was able to work 48 hours a week and get some overtime. But about a month in, so I, I just, I kind of set myself on this path. And what I, what I try to do is you try to do things that like are going to make you uh, indispensable to the organization. And so about a month in, they had a, they had a, an opening where they basically said, Hey, it's ski season. Um, we don't have enough people to work our Alpine apparel section. Is there any volunteers? <laughs> and no one volunteered. And so I just raised my hand and they're like, great. Have you skied before? And I said, yeah, I went in the seventh grade. I went skiing at perfect North slopes in Indiana. And I, I'm pretty sure I wore jeans and a flannel shirt. <laughs> that's like, that's, that's the, that's my ski experience to sell Alpine apparel. And they were like, well, I, it, this is the only volunteer. So let's go for it. And what I realized is that selling Alpine apparel, there's numerous factors that go into it. But the, the reason why no one wanted to do it is because whenever anybody comes in to get outfitted for ski gear, they end up trying on like 80 different things and 80 different combinations. Cause you have base layer, you have mid layer, and you have outer layer. And so quickly you end up, you realize that it's a lot of it is like folding clothes, refolding clothes, hanging them on the hanger. And just like, it's a lot of manual labor, which is why nobody wanted to do it. And so what I did is I just, I just said, you know, I just, what I did is I took the last Wait a second, folding winter. clothes is manual labor? <laughs> if you honestly- Goodness, you what is, <laughs> see, if you're willing to fold clothes, apparently you can get ahead in life, people. So I don't want to hear your excuses. Yeah, Folds? no excuses. Goodness. All right, keep going. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, so what I did is I took the last season's winter catalog and I took the current season's winter catalog. And I took them home and I just poured over the materials, all the, all the ski gear I could think of. I memorized all the names of the jackets, all the names of the base layer, the mid layer, I, I, everything. And then I went to the two people who are avid skiers and I just over lunch, I said, Hey, if I, if I, you know, buy you lunch or I'll buy you a juice, it's, it's California. You, you buy, you buy each other, uh, fresh <laughs> squeezed juices. <laughs> people in California, you know, if I, if I like, buy you a juice, uh, I don't, I don't care <laughs> oh, because people gosh. in California classify me as what are, you live in flyover country. So it's, it's all yeah, in good flyover fun. States. It's all in good fun. I know. Yeah. But I just said, Hey, I, w- would you just like download all your knowledge to me about Alpine apparel? And so what I was able to do is I was able to basically become an expert in Alpine apparel and began outfitting, you know, avid skiers and their families in Alpine apparel. And that's what uh, it led that led from a temp job uh, into a full time job. So Patagonia is great. Once you get promoted to full time, you get bumping the, the hourly hourly wage. You get a four hundred one k, and you get benefits, terrific benefits. And so I was able to to work my way into that, which helped bridge the gap before I was able to get into tech. And I think I think the the what I try to do and is just try to find a way in which you can just just volunteer for anything. Like anything you can do that no one wants to do, just go do it. And just, and don't even ask to do it and don't even tell people you did it. Sometimes just do it. Like there's just, there's always jobs that are just so blah. And you just say, I'm just going to go do that. I'm going to do it really well. And it may never amount to anything, but it may. And I'm just going to do it because that's what I, that's what the best thing is to do. That's good stuff because I mean, that's, that's where you gain a competitive advantage to use some economics terms. You know, you have, competitive advantages, you have absolute advantages. I mean, that's the blah type of jobs. Those are the jobs that nobody wants to do, hence they're blah. But if you're willing to do them, then just like that, you separate yourself from the pack. And yeah, that's awesome. That, that kind of catapulted you into now having a full-time job with benefits and all that good stuff just because 
you're willing to uh, to volunteer. And you know, there yeah. this and you like you said, you didn't you didn't know anything about ski wear, right? When you when you volunteered, you had to go and learn everything about the alpine ski. I mean, you had to basically teach yourself everything about skiing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, all right. So let me make. I've never been skiing since. Okay, so let me make a point. So this won't mean much to Mark, but think about the last two people I've talked to, both Jeff and then Phil. Jeff was so. Do you know how to wire this? Uh, yeah. Oh crap! I got to learn how to hire. I got to learn how to wire this, and he got the job done. And that just took his business to a whole nother level. And then Phil, do you know how to do cabinets? Uh, Or no, do you know how to fix uh, the kerosene um, pumps or whatever? Uh, Yeah, of course we. I know how to do that. Oh crap! I got to figure this out. And he did that. And you heard Phil's story. That just continued to catapult him. Here we have Mark saying, "Uh, "I went skiing with jeans and a flannel shirt in seventh grade, and I'm supposed to be." uh," And he raises his hand, anyways. And what did Mark do? He's like I said, he figured it out. He poured over the catalogs. So it's amazing what happens when you just step outside of comfort zones and then just commit to, I got to figure it out, so I'm going to figure it out. That's three people in a row now that have had that exact, and even really Paul, when you think about it, him taking the student loan to get that software, I mean, that was you know along the same lines, but this is, this is very interesting from my perspective. I'm, you know, talking with successful people. There's these common threads, these common themes that I'm noticing are popping up. So I, I don't know, what's the moral yeah. of the story? Don't be, don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, and at the end of the day, you know, going back to what I said earlier, like I'd, I'd kind of become comfortable with not being that good at things and I was okay with that. I was okay with the fact that I wasn't an expert. I, I didn't pretend to be an expert. I just said, it seems like, and in my mind, I'm like, it seems like no one else wants to do this. I'm brand new, I'll do it. And, you know, if I, worst case scenario, I was a terrible, you know, Alpine, you know, ski salesman on the floor and I would just chip away at it and get better. I wasn't scared of it, you know, of being terrible and getting laughed at. It didn't matter. I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. But then to your point, I think you have to back up the, the, that with like, okay, there's some work involved in like learning this. And the work that I did and the, the learning that I did didn't take place on company time. It wasn't like I went to them and said, Hey, I need three hours paid to learn, you know, Alpine ski. That's, that's just not going to happen. I had to do it on my own and it was on my own unpaid time. So yeah. And I, I ended up, so I ended up working there for, man, I was there for eight months. I, I loved it. It was a great company. Some of the best coworkers I've ever been around. Um, I, abs- I absolutely loved, loved the opportunity to work there. So where does ZipRecruiter start to, uh, to come in a thing? Yeah. So- <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I feel like maybe and I yes, should, uh, listeners, it is the ZipRecruiter. You've probably heard advertising <laughs> on another podcast that you may listen yeah. to because I, I swear they're all over the place. Um, so yes, it Everywhere. is it is that ZipRecruiter. Yeah, and so uh, so what happened after that is I had the opportunity to get into tech. So after after Patagonia, I interviewed and got a job at an e-commerce startup called Roost. Um, I was like the seventh or eighth employee. They had raised a little bit of money, and it was just like. It was just like, hey, we're just trying to build this e-commerce site. You know, we want to bring you on as our first sales account manager, everything guy. And I just jumped at it. I just said, yeah, that's great. And then, like, looking back on it, so fast forward seven months later, the company shut down and fired. Everyone got laid off on the same day. You know, seven months later, my first fray into tech just failed miserably. But like, <laughs> well, isn't that what just, happens just, to just, most tech? I mean, sure, you yeah. always hear about the yeah. the successes, but. For every success, there's probably who knows how many dozens of situations yep. like this where <laughs> on literally the same day, yeah. okay, we no longer exist. 
here you go. Bye. Yeah. yeah. And they literally like they laid us uh, Monday evening. They called and said, are they, we had an email saying, you know, clear your calendars for Tuesday. This is like around, no, this is around Thanksgiving. And then on Tuesday, the CEO and, and th- like, this was a, a great company. I still keep up with the, the folks that wor- work there and we worked really hard and just, you know, it just didn't pan out. And that's the reality. But he laid all of us off and I, you know, they paid us a check and they said, hey, here's the check through the end of day today. Go to the bank and cash it because tomorrow it, it may bounce. So you want to <laughs> cash your check. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so I just, I went in and I cashed my check. I remember calling Corey and be like, babe, I just got laid off. And they just paid me to the end of day today. And I don't know when the next paycheck is coming in. So <laughs> here we go. Um, but what happened, and to your question about how I got the ZipRecruiter, the co-founder of, of Roost was this guy named George. And, uh, and George, the last day, I just, George is a, is a very successful tech entrepreneur. He was very early on in PayPal, um, has since started a couple of companies. Like he's a great, great guy. And I just went to him and, and I said, hey, George, I didn't work for you that long, but I, you know, I'll buy you coffee if, you can, if I could pick your brain about what you would do in this situation. And what, what George did is George was able to introduce me to a close friend of his, a guy named Kevin. And Kevin uh, was the VP of sales at ZipRecruiter. And George said, you know, I think, and George basically sent an email to Kevin on my behalf and said, you know, Mark is, you know, has the characteristics that I think you'd be looking for. I think you guys would benefit from connecting. And so I called Kevin and I said, hey, Kevin, I'll meet you anytime, anywhere. I'll buy you lunch. Um, if you'll just, if, if, I would love to hear about what's going on at ZipRecruiter and, uh, and just hear from you what you would do if you're in my position. And so I met with Kevin um, and ended up getting hired at ZipRecruiter. They were hiring at the time. And so two months later, so I got laid off November 15th, January 14th, I started at ZipRecruiter um, and ended up working for Kevin uh, for over four years at ZipRecruiter. And you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. I think there's some luck that goes into it from a sense of like right time, right place. Um, but I also think there's some preparation that goes into it. And um, it just was an incredible opportunity. And I, I think at the same time, I also think that God you know, is, was involved in that. My faith is, is really cornerstone. And I can see like, that things worked out, you know, based on the fact that we were faithful, we did what we could, and we put ourselves in a position where, you know, for example, like we had, we had, you know, we had worked and saved and had an emergency fund in the bank, and they they laid they laid me off, and most, you know, all my some of my other coworkers were like, oh my gosh, we got to start filing for unemployment, you know, how are the bills going to get paid? And I was able to pull up my bank account and be like, okay, we have, I think at the time we had like a six thousand dollar emergency fund which isn't going to take you that long in California, but it's enough to where you could at least take a breath and not panic. Right. And you knew, I knew I had like three months of expenses paid for. And that helps so much in the terms of the transition to ZipRecruiter. And so I, I started at Zip. Uh, I was in an inside sales role. Uh, and over the four years, I was inside sales. I managed a sales team for two years. And then I went to a more of an outside sales role where I was selling into our agencies. And just I, I just, I learned so much and I cut my teeth and I was actually there really early. It was before they raised any money. Uh, I started in January of, gosh, the 2012, I want to say. Uh, four months later, they raised $63 million of Series A funding. And then while I was there, they raised another round of funding. And the valuation when I left was for the company of ZipRecruiter was like somewhere between one and $2 billion. So I was on this, this meteoric rise that I just... You know, I was able to network my way into it. The door was open, and I was able to just seize the opportunity and go for it. And so you go from you know bootstrapped and profitable ZipRecruiter to four years later, you know, worth over a billion dollars. The advertisements are everywhere, um, and I got to wear a bunch of different hats, selling a bunch of different demographics, and, and grow my career there. And it was just an incredible experience, and uh, I, I'll, I'll forever be grateful to that. It was just amazing. Yeah, that's now you. I'm. I'm trying to think you started off in just sales but then you got into a management position too right 
Yeah. And was that your first yeah. ever management position that you'd ever? Yeah. And I same, mean, same situation. Yeah. It's like as a Patagonia, like they, the team grew so fast. There was like 15 of us reporting to a VP and they said, all right, we think we have enough headcount to, 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 to hire a manager. And I'd never managed before. Um, I, I think I was well liked and respected by my colleagues. And so I put my hat in the ring and, you know, it goes to, I think the, the bigger, um, you know, you asked initially, you know, I think, you know, an hour ago you asked the question and here we are about like, how did I actually get the job at Google and how did that actually transpire? And what I've tried to do is basically when it comes to interviewing, you know, there's two ways to approach interviewing. There's numerous ways to approach interviewing, but when I interviewed for this first manager position, uh, I went into it with a different mindset than most folks would. There's, there's a couple of mindsets, but the ones that I focus on, I'll focus on is the first mindset is you kind of walk into an interview and you say, you know what? I'm going to just try to answer all the questions correctly and just hope they pick me. <laughs> like, I don't want to mess anything up. I don't want to make any answers wrong. I just, I just, I'm, I'm just going to hopefully, I hope I survive. The second one, and it's actually, um, there's a guy named Ryan Holiday who I read pretty regularly. And it's, it's a, there's a theory or a way of interviewing called the, the suitcase technique. And that's basically you view the interview and you approach the interview like it's a, like it's a dress rehearsal. Like you're basically going to show up and blow them away by your preparation by your, um, the skills you've developed, the way in which you've prepared, and you're just going to treat it as if this is the most important like day of your life in your career. And that's what I did at ZipRecruiter. I, I didn't have any sales management experience, but I researched and came prepared with, you know, three actionable things that I was going to do, you know, as soon as I took over the team. What were those and three actionable like, things? Do you remember? Gosh, First, and f I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was, it was specific to the role, but I think one of them was like, first things first, I'm going to know everybody's birthday and we're going to celebrate everybody's birthday. Second thing, like, and on that, like, I'm going to begin valuing the individuals of our team because we just didn't have that. And there's stuff like that where it's like, I'm going to begin delivering. And the, the second was, I'm going to take everyone's career de development very, very seriously. I'm going to help them grow their career. And I think those were bunched into one, but it was like, I came prepared with like very actionable things that I was going to do knowing full well that I had no experience to draw on. So you could approach the interview and be like, here's what I hope to do. Here's what I may do. I just hope you believe me. Or you can say, here's what I plan to do. And you can lay it out for them and say, here's what it's going to look like with me as the acting manager. And um, it worked. And I got, I got the job and I was in that role for two years. And I ended up transitioning out of that role uh, for a couple different factors. But um, a lot of it was I, I, I wanted to, I, I really thrive on like, doing different things every couple of years, I kind of get a little bit ADHD. And so I wanted to do something totally different. And so I was able to jump into a different role, but that's, that's how I approached the interview at ZipRecruiter. And I took that same exact approach, uh, over to Google, um, when I was able to interview and, you know, and land the job here as well. So you're at ZipRecruiter and I, I guess I kind of know the story cause you, you, you've told it, but I'll play stupid somewhat. Where does Google start to creep in? I mean, did you just walk into their offices and say, Hey, I'm Mark. I want to work. Or, I mean, how did this all, how did you actually cold land the, the, yeah, cold how, the number? Yeah. How did you actually <laughs> no, land the interview itself? That, <laughs> that initial one that yeah. is. So, yeah. So I had this friend who introduced me, uh, who basically said, I'll, I'll be a reference or referral into Google. And one of the things about Google is like, they get so many applicants it's in so many qualified applicants in order to kind of get to the top of the the top of the pile at some level, you have to have an in. It's good. It helps to have someone who knows um, knows Google and knows how to do things within Google. And so he basically said, "Hey, I'll, I'll put you in as a referral. It'll probably get you an initial call with a uh, with a recruiter. Um, 
And then from there, it's just going to be on you. But if you're interested, I can get you at least an initial call. And I said, yeah, sure. Put me in. And so, um, so he put me in for, for, uh, for the role. And then I actually got a call from a recruiter and she said, Hey, I'd you know, let's, let's book, you know, 15 time, 15 minutes or 30 minutes to talk. And, uh, so I just basically approached each stage of the interview process is like with the mindset of, you know, I, the chances of me getting into Google are slim just from a statistical t- standpoint, you can be really good. There's just a lot of things that go into the overall process. And I just said to myself, I'm just going to see what happens. Um, and I'm just gonna take every step of the interview process really seriously. And kind of going back to that suitcase technique of being like, I'm going to show up the most prepared on time, ready to deliver, uh, and ready to show them that this is basically a dress rehearsal for what you're going to get when I become a full-time employee. And so I had that, I had that first call with the recruiter went really well. And then, um, I got, they moved me along from that into like the longest, uh, most interesting interview process of all time. It actually consists of five, uh, interviews across numerous functions. Uh, all of them are over video. So you have a video call. And then one was actually in person doing a sales presentation to like the entire, or like probably five members of the team. Um, and then after that, what's crazy is after all those interviews, your candidacy goes to a hiring committee and the hiring committee ultimately makes the decision. So the hiring manager and the team that was actually interviewing me, like consolidates all the information and then makes a case to the hiring committee. And the hiring committee just says, you know, okay, yes or no, based upon, you know, a bunch of different factors. So it's a, it's a wild, wild process. And so I just kind of approached each one as like, you know, I, I may not get it past, I may not get past interview one, but I'm just going to give interview one my best shot. And then interview two came around and I said the same exact thing. And at the end of the day, I think it goes back to earlier what we were talking about is like, not, you know, it's not about participation trophies. It's about showing up and giving your best effort and like letting the results be the results and being okay with the fact that you may not get it. Uh, but knowing I can go home and hold my head high and, you know, look at my son and look at my wife and say, Hey, I didn't get the job, but I gave it everything I had. And so that's that. Um, and so that's the mentality I took. And, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, being able to make it through the, the, uh, the interview process and wait, okay. So got the, the job. Second, I've been there for six months. There was that first with a job recruiter and then there was five more yeah. after that, or is uh, the job recruiter one part yeah. of the five? No, the, the recruiter is just like an initial phone screen to make sure you're like a normal, <laughs> okay. you know, it's this guy, you're, you're, it's this guy normal. <laughs> right. You're, 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 yeah. It's like, it's, it's not a formality, but she's like the initial gatekeeper to like gauge if you even have a chance. Okay. So that's outside, <laughs> that's outside of the five yeah. is just to make sure that you're not gonna show. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And then, so you're not going to burn the place down. You're not right. You're not right. Crazy, right. Yeah. You're not going to things just aren't going to get weird when you show up around, you know, there's not going to, you're not going to, exactly. here we go. You're not going to be an HR problem is basically what, yes. yeah. So you take yep. the, the first one is we're all five of them video interviews then, or the one you had in person, yeah, so but four of the four five, of the five. Were, yeah, four of the five are video. And then the five was an in-person sales presentation. And every interview focuses, focused on something different. So it'd be like, um, work experience would be one. And you, you know, you go through your work experience, you talk about that, you, you know, let them know what you did. So did you tell, Another did you tell them like, like you told, yeah. told me like, Hey, I started doing maintenance and then I worked for, yeah. so you, 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 you went through basically all of your, your life experiences. I, I don't know. I didn't, I mean, not, not, I a, shouldn't say life experiences, cap. but more so your, your job <laughs> experiences. Yeah. And I, and, and that's where, you know, going, you know, I think one of the things that I've been able to do successfully is be able to like, look at people to briefly summarize and provide a verbal summary of like what I've done and what I, I want to do. Right. Cause like at the end of the day, you can't, you know, you're, you can't tell a recruiter, you know, in 30 minutes, everything you've ever done in your life, they're not going to, 
they're not going to care or listen to all that. You know, you have to be able to concisely say like, here's what I've done. Here's some of the core achievements. Here's why I'd be a good fit for the role. Well, but yeah, so each of the interviews that like one covers work experience, one covers, I'm trying to remember what they all cover. It's like uh, cognitive ability where they ask you like, you know, those, those questions, some of those questions around, you know, if you had to, how would you approach this situation? Right. And what's, what's crazy about those is it's not really crazy, but I mean, and this is all public knowledge. You can look it up, but I, the approach that I took with those questions is like the type of questions where you would say, you know, if you have, you know, one golf, how many golf balls fit inside of a, you know, a jet or, you know, a Boeing 747 or something, most people just like spout off an answer or they just say they don't know. And what I was able to do, what I tried to do is like really, instead of just like trying to find the right answer, think about a thought process of actually approaching a question. So, and this happens all the time. I'm sure it happens with you guys in your business where it's like, we have this, this goal that we want to get after that's, that's difficult, that's challenging. What's our game plan? And let's like actually map a strategy for how to get there. And it's, there, nece- there isn't necessarily like an ultimate right or wrong answer. It's more like, what is your thought process? Are you organized? Are you rational? Are you able to like dissect a problem and like actually move it forward versus just being like, I don't know, or I don't know, it's a thousand. Is that the right answer? Right? So there's a different way of approaching that. And I try to take the approach of like, dissect it, think about your thought process. And the end result isn't as important as like, you know, can you, can you like articulate how you would approach a problem? Well, the first question is how big are the golf balls? Are these standard sizes or what? Exactly. How big is a, is there, is there seats on the plane? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How many, how many people are on that plane? Yeah. (laughs) And most, but most people will just like spout off an answer or they'll be so overwhelmed by the complexity of it. They just like, they just shut down. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not the, I'm certainly not the, the most, the most intelligent guy out there, but I'm, I think I'm able to like look at a situation and kind of break it down into some pieces and then, you know, think about it and be able to construct a path forward. Interesting. Uh, so yeah. So, okay. You had, the, the craziest, you had yeah, the, the sales pitch, you had job experience, you had kind of the, let's play the what if game, the, in this situation, I mean, what were the other two then? What? Yeah. I honestly, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like there's different things that Google gauges you on. And what's interesting is one of them, they call it, it's called just like Googliness, right? So, and that, that's like, is this person uh, open-minded? Are they inclusive? Are they a good team player? Are they uh, empathetic? Do they relate well to a wide variety of people? Right. And there's this whole component of like, it's almost like, is this someone we want to, you want to work in the trenches with day in and day out? Because I think we've all been around those people who are great. They're super smart. They're like the brightest people, but they just drive you up a wall because they're so annoying and they just like don't have any personal sk- interpersonal skills. So I'm guessing for that, I'm guessing for that one, you walked in with a, a trophy that said participation on it and you just snapped it over <laughs> exactly. your knee and you said, yeah. that's what I think of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm empathetic. Let's that's go. Is that, yeah, that's, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Clay, I think you'd probably need some coaching before <laughs> yeah. going into that one. You'd be I like, don't, I don't believe in this. Yeah, I don't think Google would be, <laughs> knowing if they're throwing out, oh yeah, that probably wouldn't go well. So what do you think about this situation? That else. sounds no, like the I'll victim card to me, Google. Yeah, that's a, and then just go off the handle on the victim card. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You wouldn't do that. But you, you, it's like it's just a normal person that like you want to work with. And there's a lot of there's a lot of it. Like at the end of the day, if you're going to work 40 plus hours in a high pressure environment with somebody, you kind of want to you don't want to like be their best friend. But you kind of want to be like, ah, oh, this is a nice, normal, sane person that like is kind and reasonable and empathetic and like isn't just a complete jerk. Um, but the, the hardest part I think was they basically gave me like 40 plus slides 
related to the higher product. And what higher is, is it's an applicant tracking system uh, built by Google. It lives within the G suite. So G, the G suite is Gmail, Gcal, Sheets, Docs. And it's a way for uh, companies to manage the high volume of inbound applicants that they receive. So if you have 15 positions open and you get you know 20 candidates for those 50, each position, it's a lot of people you have to manage. And if you're you know, if you want to have a good hiring process, you need to have some sort of a system. And so what they did is I've never sold ATSs, but what they did is they gave me like 40 slides and they said, okay, it was Friday. And they said, okay, on Tuesday, you're going to present. You have half an hour to run a, a mock sales demo with the team. So go. So just come and come prepared. You have half an hour. We expect you to run it like you would run a normal sales call. And, you know, it's a little bit daunting because I've never sold the product. And if you know anything about, you know, the thing about sales is it, you get good at sales by doing it a bunch and you get good at selling a specific product by like being terrible at it for a period of time. It's just part of it. You like learn to like how to present things, how to overcome objections. And so what I, what I did is I just, I approached it like I approached, you know, anything else. And the reality was like, I just said, you know, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down as the most prepared I can possibly be and the most ready. And so I, I, I went to, I went to Starbucks and I just spent a bunch of time going through all the slides, wrote down a ton of notes and like really familiarize myself with the product. And then from there, I said, all right, if I'm going to cut these 40 some slides, I'm going to cut it down to like eight or nine slides. There's nothing worse than a sales guy who shows up with 40 slides and expects you to listen to like all 40 of them. It's like, come on, that's not that compelling. So I just cut it down to a bunch of different slides. And then I, I literally stood in front of Corey. How many? How many? Over the weekend. I'm out of curiosity. I think I had, I think I had 10 slides. Oh, 10? I went from okay. like 40 plus down to like 10. Okay. Just like the, like what are the most critical 10 slides that if, the bare minimum slides. Um, and so what I did over the weekend is I just stood and I just presented to Corey. And um, one of the things that's great about Corey is she's really, she's just able to like give really unvarnished. I just said like, give me the unvarnished truth. And like, if this is confusing to you, tell me it's confusing. And you know, it, it kind of kills your ego a little bit. You're like, you know, you've been practicing a bunch and like slide one. She's like, I'm so bored and I'm so lost, <laughs> you know? And you're like, okay, I need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> slide three she's like why are you talking so much <laughs> i'm like i don't know i didn't realize i was did you do you slide take four, that why is you, your hand in your pocket do you take that You're nervous with, did you yeah. take it with a grain of salt or did did you no i took i it was like dead serious and i okay. asked her to be dead serious okay. and she was like and i was like hey you know this isn't going to ruin our marriage like i want you to just like just tear me apart. Tell me I'm terrible. Tell me where it's, what's confusing. What makes sense? I got to get better at that because Abby started to listen to these podcasts and she's like, you shouldn't be saying that. You, you do this and you do <laughs> that. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, no, I'm flawless. Everything I do is perfect. <laughs> I'm these. so good at this. It's hard to hear. Yeah. So I, I, I got to get better at that though. I got to get better at uh, yeah. the, you know, con criticism from your own wife, but you know, she's the one that probably knows it's you tough. best. When you think you're doing a good and job, a time and then and a she's place like, for it. like she does, Abby doesn't want me to call people losers anymore. Like in some of these past ones, I'm like, if you look at something <laughs> like this, you are a loser. But I'm, I, uh, so I, maybe I'll try, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's too rough, but some people are losers, Mark. <laughs> I don't know what to say. If you are blaming the system and not yourself, you're a loser. You're a loser. <laughs> I don't know what other word. To, I'm sorry, Abby, because you'll probably listen to this since it's with Mark, but I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Read the article. They, those people are losers. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah. so I, I like it though. So you're yeah. open to criticism and it sounds like you rolled with the punches pretty well. Yeah. And she was just brutally honest. And she, and then, so I would stand and present and then I'd like stop and I'd stand and present, stop, stand and present. And I just did it probably 15 times. Like stand, like standing up in front of her in our living room with our, with the laptop open and not even, and the thing is like a good presentation, man, you don't look at the slides too often. And she's like, why are you staring at the slides? Why are you reading the slides? 
Like you need to look at me, I'm your audience. And like, that's the sort of feedback that when it comes to interviewing, like I think most people don't ever like, like, so let's say you don't have a significant other, someone that's willing to, you know, spend a whole Saturday telling you, you know, listening to the same presentation of an ATS, which by the way, ATS is not the most exciting product in the world. So my wife's a saint for being willing to just sit there and let me, uh, you know, talk about ATS software for, you know, a full day. But I, I always tell people who ask me for advice, I'm like, have you recorded yourself? Have you listened to what you sound like? Have you, I mean, you can prop up your iPhone and stand and present to your iPhone and watch it back. And it's, it's kind of uncomfortable sometimes because you don't realize, you know, your blind spots. And so I did that and I just basically was like, you know, I'm going to go in there and be the most prepared. And I'm just going to like, you know, going back to the suitcase technique around like, I'm going to view this as a dress rehearsal. Like I want them to say to, at the end of it, be like, we know what Mark is going to do day in and day out as a sales rep representing Google. I didn't want it to be like, well, he has potential, you know, maybe if he works on it and is actually prepared, he'd be good. I wanted him to be like, he's super prepared and we know what we're going to get. And, uh, and that's what I was able to do. I, I, I showed up, there's a room of like, I think five people. And I just, I, I presented my sales pitch. I sweat through the back of my shirt. I was so nervous. Um, and at the end of it, what's crazy is one of the things about Google's culture is that it's, it's very, um, what I found is that you have to be open to receiving feedback or else, because you get feedback on a regular basis through like performance reviews, through peer reviews, like you have to be willing and able to have someone else say, you missed this. And, um, you know, and I actually, I had a notebook and I actually took notes based on the feedback that they gave me really just to show even more. So like, I'm serious about this. Even if I don't get the job, I'm going to take the feedback that you've given me and make myself even better at my current role. And I think I, I don't know this for sure, but I, I think that was one of the things that helped, you know, set me apart and move me through the process was a, I was super prepared and B I was willing and able to take feedback and take it seriously and actually take notes on it. And be like, I'm going to take notes and listen to what you guys have to say. So would you, it sounds like you would recommend for, I guess not necessarily somebody that's young, really of any age, if you're, if you're going into some sort of interview where, you know, part of the interview process is going to be feedback, bring a notebook and take notes. Is that? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And uh, yeah, and have a, and even small stuff like, so for example, you're sit, we're sitting around a round table and there's small details that really matter. I think like when the person to the left of me is giving me brutal, you know, not brutal, they weren't brutal, but giving me feedback, rotate your chair and face that person and, and like, and nod and thank them for their feedback. Most people don't do that. Most people get really defensive. They get really uncomfortable. But being able to like rotate, face the person and kind of take the feedback full on. Like in my VP of, of sales gave me some pretty honest feedback. He literally was like, you know, you had a chance. I'm not kidding. This is what he said. He said, you had a chance to really take an angle and get directly to our pain point, And you just, you didn't do it in this presentation. Why didn't you do that? And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally missed on that. And I just told him, I said, you know, you're right. I missed that. And I, I appreciate the feedback. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't do it. You're right. And most people I think would probably be like, oh, well, here's why I did it. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm right here and you're wrong. And it's like, no, it's a valid point. I appreciate the feedback. And I, I missed on that. Um, and so I think that was one of the things I was able to, you know, I think that's what I do to try to set myself apart. And it's not just like a strategy. It's a, it's a, it's a mentality. It's a worker mentality that says, I'm not perfect. I'm not above the system. I'm not better than anybody here. I'm here trying to get better. And part of getting better is hearing that brutal feedback and being willing to internalize it and change. I like that because humility, 
eating a slice of humble pie can go a long way. And it sounds like that's uh, yeah, that's what you did in that situation. You'd be surprised at the number of people who like will basically disregard feedback from extremely successful people. Like my, I mean, to be a VP of sales at Google, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's yeah. like, dude, yeah, that's that, there's about a that's that's a that's not an easy task. That's not an easy job to get. And I just in the camp, like if a VP of sales is going to take time to tell you what he would do differently, you better listen. You better take notes. And you better thank him at the end of it. And just to add in that other layer of, of, of context, VP of sales, I'm not going to argue. That's very impressive. VP of sales at Google. Yeah. Uh, yes, please. Give me all your thoughts. I yeah. will. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty. Yeah. But to think that some pro- a, people probably don't. Like you're right. Some people probably just sit there and get all defensive or think that they're smarter than the situation. And it's just, yep. that doesn't bode well. Yeah. You're in. And uh, it's a it's a way in which I think going back to the initial part of our conversation is how do you approach work? Like how do you approach your work? How do you pr- approach your profession? And I think all too often people think they've they've kind of made it and they know what they're doing. And the reality is you can always improve. You can always get better. And uh, and like it's how often do you receive you know direct feedback and almost criticism in real time? Like not that often anymore. And when you do have a chance to get that, it's super actionable, and you should definitely uh, perk up and take notes and uh, and be engaged with that. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm in full agreement. My mind's been kind of yeah. corrupted because some of the feedback and criticism I get. Have you ever read YouTube comments? Oh, it's brutal. The trolls <laughs> just like it's like. Does, does anybody have a job? Yeah, here? yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah. So I my, mean, for every one that's funny, there's like ten that are like it's just like so negative. Yeah. Go, Come on. For the for the clay trader stuff, I mean, all those videos. I, mean, I, I pride myself and I will, I try to reply back to every single comment, but yeah, some of those people, it's like, it, it warps your sense of feedback, yeah. how you take feedback. Cause it's like, okay, I'm not necessarily going to take feedback from somebody that's in their mom's basement probably right now, yelling at them to yeah. make them lasagna, but somebody, <laughs> Mom, the meatloaf. Yeah. The, oh, the, yeah, the meatloaf. Yeah. But <laughs> VP of sales at Google or VP of sales or VP of anything really. I'll listen. I'll listen because that's actually a real yeah. job, not a YouTube comment. You know, their their alias on YouTube isn't VP yeah. of Sales. They actually have the job title, yeah. VP of Sales. And VP of Sales don't have time to uh, to to comment on YouTube videos. <laughs> that's that's one of the one of the marvelous things that I've always wondered is this person just typed me up like a three page dissertation. Where, what are they? Do, what else? Why yeah. are they doing this right now? Couldn't they be doing it? But, Put that effort towards you know towards something else, you know. But it's the system's fault, yeah. Mark. What are they supposed to do? They're trapped in the yeah, system, right. man. It's it's not their fault. It's not their fault. You know, and what's interesting is like I, I and I think you touched on this with uh, it's, it's Brian, right? Brian Dewise. Paul. Paul. I don't know why I thought Brian. I, I, you touched on this, but it's like you know, I, I'm I'm not. I'm probably one of the last people to kind of go all in on bagging on millennials and like. I think there's a ton of truth to it. I think the the reality is if you're a good like millennials aside, they're gonna annoy everybody and you know, I swear like every problem eventually comes down to like the millennials are at fault. And there's a lot of validity to that. But at some point I think the mentality that I try to take is, you know, I it's an opportunity. And I think Paul talked about this and you talked about it. It's an opportunity to set yourself apart. Like if you're a if you're a millennial who's solidly in that age bracket. And you show up and you put on and you're prepared and you're not entitled and you're willing to take feedback and you're willing to work and you're willing to like do the day in and day out arduous task of like getting better at your job, you're 
it's it's sad to say, but I, I think you're in you're I feel as though, and this is just a, a feeling, you're in pretty rare rare territory. If you're willing and able to do all of that stuff, you set yourself apart by default. You know, like you're just oh wow, this guy's a little bit different than most other people we interview who come in very entitled and are interested in you know you know is the uh, you know are the snacks you know are the snacks you know good every day? You know, it's just a different mentality. It is, and it's just. Your mentality, and when people can sense your mentality, I think that first impressions, you know, are are key. And I think the mentality that you give off is part of that first impression, and it's yeah, it, it, it goes a long way. With the first first mentality impression being, do you show up on time? And right there, hey, yeah, you, you're well. I mean, you made a comment about the go. Ah, that's that reminds me. So it sounds like from for those of you that listened to the interview with Paul and I, we. And I did another interview, Beast or Brat, but there was this concept called ghosting where people just flat out like don't show up for stuff. Yeah. And you text me after just listening no to that and it sounds like you've, is, does this happen at Google or have you just heard about it through the grapevine out in Silicon Valley out there? Yeah, it's an interesting phenomena. I think, and so what's interesting about it is like we've, we live in a period of time where Unemployment's under 4%. If you want to better your work situation, you can better your work situation very easily. Um, if you're, you know, if you're someone who, you know, possesses those skill sets, and even if you're not, um, and it, it happens all too frequently, you know, people just don't show up for the first day of the work. They don't show up for interviews, no call, no show. And it's like, wait a second, that's your, you know, we live in a hyper-connected society and like, it's easy for, you know, you're connected to people on LinkedIn who know other people. And you just have to take that stuff really seriously when it comes to your overall, like how you're perceived. It was interesting because I actually read an article in the Wall Street Journal today and it basically said, uh, it wasn't actually today, it was probably last week. And the premise was basically like job, uh, employers are basically loosening their restrictions on jobs. So like you're seeing more and more jobs pop open with like no experience necessary or no degree required. And and that's the reality of this is like people are trying to find good workers and it's not a good strategy to like just ghost. And I think it's built out of a little bit of an entitlement where people are like, well, I have five offers now. so. I can kind of take my pick and then whatever, I'll just leave the other four hanging out to dry. It's uh, it's born out of that. And it's, it's a sad, it's a sad thing. And it happens all too frequently. I know it drives the people that I sell to, it drives them crazy. You know, you put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy, you know, into this, you know, candidate experience and they just don't show up on the first day. Like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. But it happens very frequently. Yeah. That is, that is pretty nuts. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I mean, I I can see why it would happen if you have five offers, but still, I mean, what does it hurt to yeah. call somebody and just give them or call, text them or send them an What's email crazy too is like as a as a good job seeker, you can negotiate your salary, you can negotiate a lot of stuff. And so Yeah, did you negotiate you know, stuff at Google? Yeah, I was able to negotiate at Google. Do you have any I, tips for listeners on negotiating <laughs> when it comes to all that Google's good stuff? Google's going to be a little probably going to be a little bit different in that things are pretty well set. Like you, there's a little bit of leeway, but you know, at that level of an organization, they're pretty good at like leveling their employees to where, <laughs> yeah. listen, this know, is Google, buddy. Like, dude, dude, like we get it. You want another, you know, whatever, 10 K on your, on your salary, but it's just not going to happen. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's lots of things you can do in negotiation. I think the first thing is you got to be prepared and you got to be, you got to know your worth. And it goes back to the preparation component. If you're going to negotiate your salary, you need to have a leg to stand on. You need to be able to point to data to say, you know, people, you know, for example, people at this level with my experience at other companies are making this. Um, 
I don't expect to be paid, you know, way outside of my, you know, way outside of my experience level, but I would like to be paid, you know, I always say in the, you know, based on my past performance, I'd like to be paid in the top, you know, top, top 15%, for example, of my, of my peers. And I think that's a fair ask where most people approach negotiation. They'll just say, uh, just tack on $10,000 and I'll accept. And it's like, wait a second, you didn't do, you just threw out a number with no backing and just, you know, expected to negotiate. And it actually puts, it, it leaves a bad impression uh, as you head into a company. So I always say like, know your worth and then be prepared to respectfully dialogue around your worth. And there was a point in time with Google um, and with my other jobs where I was able to say like, this is what it's going to take. You, know, you kind of go back and forth. And at some point you say, this is what it's going to take for me to sign on the dotted line. And if you can do that, we're going to wrap this up, this job search up today and I'll sign. And I think there's there's some validity to saying that. And at some point just saying like, hey, we're not just going to negotiate ad forever and ever. This is what it takes. And if you can meet me here, or at least in the back of my mind, I'm saying at least make a good faith effort to meet me there. I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to jump on and join your team. Nice. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So, but I, it, and it, like, and this is like a time you said, where you can just, negotiate your salary. But it's also pretty much dependent on, like you said, the the job itself, the company itself. I mean, I'm yep. assuming Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, those sorts of positions. It's like, listen, take it or leave it. Because yeah. like uh, Chet would say, we got 10,000 other people behind you that would be willing yeah. to take this. So I mean, um, yeah. It's- and to go back to the comment about like mentality and like victim mentality, you know, you hear about people who can't, they're like, oh, I can't better myself or get a better stage in life. And you're like, I don't know what your, what book you're reading or what newspaper you're reading or what website they're, you're I'll going tell to. you what book they're reading. They're reading Squeezed, <laughs> Why Your Families Can't easy. Afford America. <laughs> uh, that was too easy. Yeah. I was, a, I, sorry, I threw that up as a softball. Yeah. It was like the, the world that I live in and the people that I talk to and I read is like, if ever there was a time to make a career move that's going to better you financially, now is that time, internally or externally. It's a great time to go back to your current employer and say, hey, I, you know, the reality is to the point about sque- around squeeze, like from what I'm reading, like wages haven't necessarily gone up at the rate that some would hope they would go up. Whether you can debate all day long whether that's true, whether that's false, whether the, the mentality is wrong, but at some point, if you're a good worker, you can go back to your boss and respectfully say, um, here's the value that I bring. And based on what others are being paid in this industry, I would like to have a conversation around what does it look like for me to you know, take on additional responsibility within the organization and be paid you know, additional for taking on additional responsibility and for the value that I bring. Or externally, go somewhere else that's going to pay you, you know, pay you more money. This is the time to do it. And I think it's that's the difference. Victim mentality says, woe is me. I can't do anything. You know, the sky is falling. Opportunity mentality says, okay, I'm not making as much as I want to. What can I do differently about it? And not not do it in like a, there's always a way to not do it in like a burn a bridge, hold someone hostage way, but respectfully be able to communicate what your value is and what you believe you're, uh, you're worth on the open market. It's a good time to do that right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Didn't, I wanted to ask you about this because I don't know if there's any truth this, to this rumor, but Abby was telling me that Corey told her that you've you've taken random interviews just to keep yourself sharp. Is there any truth to that, that you've, yeah. you've taken random interviews with companies? Yeah. Yeah. I take a lot. Of, I, I take a lot of interviews. I haven't, I don't do it now because I just started a job, but yeah, I I, uh, I had a mentor tell me to do that early on. I used to get so I'd get reached out to by a recruiter, and I'd be like, 
I get in my head like I'm so loyal to the company. I'm so loyal to ZipRecruiter. I don't want it to appear like I'm leaving. And I had a mentor who was like, dude, take the interview. Tell them what you're worth. And then at some point, you're going to find out what you're worth and then you can use that. And and once again, not in like a, I'm going to hold you hostage, but in a reality, like if you take an interview with a random company that's willing to pay you 15, 20 grand more for the same job, it's like, okay, I'm underpaid to the market value. And the market is telling me that I can make more elsewhere. And then you have to say, okay, is it worth the cost of switching? But yeah, I, I take, I, I just took an approach for probably the last four years where if any legitimate company hit me up and said, Hey, we'd like to interview for your position. I'd say, great, I'll take the interview. And, um, it, it, it helps you hone your skills and it helps you think about what am I doing right now and what do I want to be doing and what value do I bring? So yeah, I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. Of course, do it respectfully. Don't do it like, yeah, like take it seriously. Um, but yeah, I do take a lot. I used to take a lot of those to help stay sharp and stay engaged in that process. Nice. No, that's, I heard that. I was like, that's, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. But I never thought about it from the point of gathering data in the sense of market value. Cause like you said, if, if they are willing to pay you X amount more, well then, hey, you're actually being underpaid and you have real world data to support your claim that maybe you're a little yeah. underpaid. So that I never thought about, I mean, that staying sharp in your yeah. interviewing skills, I mean, that was kind of obvious, but I, I didn't think about it from a, you know, determining market value perspective. Um, so yeah, because at, at some point, like when I, get a, when I get into an interview with Google, which is my dream company to work for, I don't want to be rusty. I want to be like prepared and like I've, I've live interviewed with other companies, um, you know, before and I'm, I'm prepared for this process. I've had, you know, I've had good experience with it. Awesome. So how do you like Google so, yeah. so far working for them as we kind of it's, wrap things uh, up? We're over two great. hours now. This is good stuff, but yeah, geez. Uh, it's almost 10 yeah, o'clock my, uh, here my in dog, Michigan for you. It's what? Oh man. Uh, it's, six, uh, almost it's almost seven. seven. My, my okay. dog Hank is, Hank is just peering in at me, like dying to play, dying to play fetch. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's a great company. It's an amazing place to work. I think it's, it's everything and more that you would think of. Um, and you know, regardless of, you know, at the end of the day, like the opportunity to work there is a dream come true for me. And, and you know, the reality is you're, you're surrounded by very, very bright people and, um, and really sharp people. And it, you kind of have to take the same mentality around. It's really easy to get into the comparison game and be like, Oh, this person went to Cornell. This, my other colleague went to Harvard. Like, I don't even belong here. I'm a, I'm a two point nothing GPA at University of Cincinnati. You mowed grass. <laughs> How did I get here? Why am I here? You know, it's like, well, I'm a, I was a, I was a grass cutter, you know, like, and, and I think, but at the same time, you have to, at some point you have to say like, they put their pants on the same way I do. And at the end of the day, I'm going to do everything I can to be successful. And you can't be married to the results. You have to accept the fact that it's just like anything you prepare, you give it your best. And then you go home and you rest your head on the pillow, knowing that you gave it your best effort, win or lose, um, you did your absolute best. And but yeah, it's been a it's been a great great place to work. I I absolutely uh, I absolutely have loved it. And it's been six months now. Uh, I feel like I'm starting to catch my stride, and I I certainly hope to have a you know have a long career there, and and hope to continue growing and developing. Well, I'm still trying to get you guys to come um, back to Michigan or Ohio, where you can buy a much bigger yeah. house for uh, those payments. Yeah. But I guess you'll just have yeah, you'll have to explain a, to Google the value. Of you working remotely from flyover country, yeah, that way, flyover states. and and have the same salary yeah. paid, so that way it it'll it'll go so yeah. much. So th I think that should be your next venture: is how can you form a yeah. form a plan to to persuade yep. Google to uh, get a headquarters yeah, exactly. to get a headquarters Sale, the sales the sales pitch. Yeah, what I was going to say as well is I was I was thinking about you know I get asked 
not not too frequently, but relatively frequently, like some some things to do to prepare for interviews. And um, you know, some of the things that I, I recommend, and uh, maybe this will have value to you know to the folks that listen to the podcast and and to you, is there's a couple things I recommend when actually preparing for an interview, like tactical things. And uh, the first thing I always recommend to people do, just like as a quick like quick hitter around some practical tips. At the end of the day, you know, the negotiation stuff, like that's going to be individual. There's going to be a lot of different factors in. But like setting yourself up for success, the first thing it's a non-negotiable whenever I interview anywhere is I absolutely have to get in a vigorous workout at least on the at the bare minimum the night before, ideally the same day. And like I don't people are always like why why do you do that? It's like, well, first off the endorphins that you get after workout, mood booster, energy booster, positivity, like you look different, you feel different. So I'm always a big fan. I always tell people like nitty-gritty tactics absolutely work out. And now with that being said, don't go max your back squat where you can't even walk. <laughs> you know, so you're not looking at you're deadlift, like, you're, max the deadlift or anything. Yeah. Okay. Don't do that. Like you see, don't this, you know, bring in a, a heating pad where you can't move. Yeah. <laughs> but like I tell people like get an aggressive workout where you feel good. Like, and I'm not saying, you know, go run a marathon. Don't go deadlift your, you know, back squat or whatever, but like hundred body weight squats for time, hundred sit-ups for time. Like do 30 burpees, like something that gets the blood flowing where like you feel good, you're positive, you're optimistic. Like that's the absolute first thing. The second thing I tell people to do is like the world we live in is very image driven. You can, we can go back and forth on, and people are like, oh, it's so bad. You don't want to be, you know, I hate this world where everything is driven by your image. But what I say is like, this is your first impression, like non-negotiable. You have to show up in a clean, well-fitted quality dress shirt that's stylish and that's current. And that fits you. From there, solid, nice pair of dress slacks that are fitted, that are ironed, that are pressed, matching dress shoes, matching belt. You know, if you wear a beard, keep the beard, but like look like you're going in for the biggest interview of your life. Like take it seriously. And I always tell people like it's time to invest. And you know, on your on the topic of your, you know, with like money management and stuff, there's a time to like go out and buy some nice stuff. Like I recommend, you know, there's there's shirts that I wear, they're from the Thai bar. They're like, I think they're fifty-five bucks a shirt. And I, and like that, that's a little, it feels a little bit expensive, but when you get a brand new, crisp, well-fitted, like stylish shirt and you're wearing that in an interview, you feel like a million bucks. Same thing with the rest of what you're wearing. So I always tell people like, you got to make sure that you're like dressed up. And if you don't have any style, like there's some people who are like, I have no style. I don't know what looks good. Find the most stylish person, you know, and ask them, find your, if your wife, your significant other is stylish, ask them and be like, listen, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you say that the brown striped shirt that I've been wearing needs to be thrown in the garbage and I need to get a new That's one. That's Nate for me. Um, Nate's, Nate's my go-to guy. <laughs> Seriously. Like he's yeah. just, Abby's like, I think, Abby always I think tells you me, wear pajamas just, most day. what would Nate say? Go ask Nate. I'm like, yeah. fine, I'll go ask Nate. Go at, I don't know what yeah, stylish. Yeah, and like be willing to say like, well, and if you, even if you don't, and some people are like, I don't care. It's like, great, don't care. But at some point you have to show up and like put on your, your Sunday best and say, hey, I'm here. And that's not to say you show up in like a three-piece suit, you know, for a tech company. And they're like, who is this guy? He's so out of touch. <laughs> but it's it's at least saying like, I've put thought and effort into what, you know, what it is that I'm going to do. The third thing is like, you got to get a good haircut. Go get a fresh fade, get a cut, look sharp. And like, at the end of the day, the way you present yourself is a direct reflection of, of who you are. And if you feel really good, I think Deion Sanders said, you feel good, you look good, you play good. And it's true. And I found that to be so true for me as I have tons of confidence going into these interviews. I'm super prepared. Like I've done the hard work of preparation, but then all the external stuff that like you have to check the box on is this guy like look energetic, like look like he has worked out in the last year. 
not that that's the, the end all be all, but like you want to look energetic, you want to look sharp and crisp with a fresh haircut and make it look like you really care about the interview. So, and then the, the final thing I say is like, and I mentioned it earlier, but like if you haven't like stood and presented yourself uh, and received honest feedback or taped yourself and watched yourself back, you're missing out. Because the, the, the perception that others see you with is oftentimes very different than what you think it is. So do those four things. I think those are some of the tactical, like nitty gritty tips that I recommend folks do that, you know, you would think a lot of people do, but they just, they just don't. It's like small details like that, that really, you know, make up for it. Oh, and the final thing is like, eat a good meal. Like, you know, don't go crush a McDonald's cheeseburger and a Coke <laughs> and then just like roll in feeling like just garbage, you know, like eat something really healthy, really nutritious. But, you know, don't eat a steak and, you know, steak and uh, potatoes an hour before you feel like you're going to like fall asleep at the right, table. Right, smothered in gravy. Straight, straight, <laughs> yeah, straight right. don't, don't go America, you know, just keep it a little, yeah, keep right. it a little hippie. Have some juice, yeah. some avocado some toast, juice. some parsley, yep. whatever else you guys exactly. eat out there. Uh, but, but good exactly. tips. I, I, I should probably, for the dressing one though. So let's say you're going in for a construction job. For that, you're yep. not saying to like go buy some sort of suit. Would you say that a p- no. nice pair of dress pants and like a polo shirt would be good yep. for that setting? Yeah. And it's all about the setting. Like in the, so in the tech companies, you don't want to, like it's a very casual, but you want to be a cut above. And if, it, if you're going for a construction job or a plumbing job or a blue collar job, you want to wear like something that is going to at very least be at the equal level of the VP or the person you're going to be reporting to. So it's like, if they wear, if like plumbers wear like jeans and a polo shirt and that's what, make sure your jeans are nice. They fit well. And your polo shirt doesn't have stains on it. It's tucked in and you look sharp for the specific interview. It's not about like, go spend a thousand dollars on an Armani suit and like cruise in like, you, you know, like a, like a millionaire, <laughs> like this guy's so out of touch, but it's about looking at yourself in the mirror and say, am I, am I close pressed? Are they clean? Are they frayed? Do they fit well? Um, and is this like putting forth the best impression of who I am for the situation that I'm going into? Makes sense. That's, uh, I'm trying to think back to how I looked when I interviewed for Honeywell way back in the day, but that, that, <laughs> I think I had a, yeah. I think I had a full suit on then, but that, there you go, man, talk, talk about just clueless and not knowing what was going on. But I, I, I get your idea. Like the more you can do it, you're just going to stay sharp because that's, that's going to keep you yeah. on your game. Now, my final question here yeah, absolutely. is uh, yeah. you mentioned maybe trying to start some sort of live coaching or, or some sort of coaching as far as interviewing. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you put any more thought into that? Yeah. So what I'm thinking about doing, what I'm considering doing is, is beginning to build out some additional ways in which I can help. Um, at the end of the day, I have no very little interest in helping people like write their resumes. To me, that's like that's pulling teeth. And there's people who are really good at that. But I think when it comes to like the nitty gritty presentation components and like what does it look like to actually like stand and present your best self in a clear and concise way, I definitely think I can add some value there. So I'm putting some thought around, you know, what would it look like to, you know, help folks who are, you know, like, hey, I'm not necessarily very good at present presenting. I feel like it's holding me back in interviews. Or you know, I, I feel like I, I show up and I, I don't know what looks good. I don't know. I don't feel good. I don't, I don't like tactically know what to do. And so I'm putting some thought into that around building out, you know, some ways in which I can help, you know, by building out, you know, a couple things, potentially running like, you know, consulting, do some interview consulting and coaching to help people kind of put their best foot forward. And at the same time, you know, building out some courses that'll say, okay, like here from an interview perspective, you know, here's how you prepare. Like, for example, like, just to just to be asked 
really difficult questions that you'll never come across, it's a big confidence booster. Like, so, you know, like Corey, for example, during our presentation, I would say, hey, just ask me a bunch of random questions. And so like related to sales. And so she'll be like, tell me about a time you were competitive. And then I answer the question. She's like, I, I didn't really, you know, and she'd be like, oh, that's okay. Like, what about another time? And then you, you get in the habit of like thinking of stories related to your career and then presenting those stories in a format, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's concise and that's actionable. And so I think I can help in that regard. And I think that's what, you know, that's what I'm considering doing on the side, you know, to help people as they, you know, try to go out and, and, uh, and, and get interviews and knock it out of the park in these interviews. So, uh, more information to follow for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking about right and now. I'm going to have to sales pitch you to try to bring you on, to try to do it through money with clay somehow, but that's, yeah. that's a discussion for, yeah, I think there's a, there could be a fit yeah, there. That's a discussion yeah. for another day, but I, I may have to work out. I might have to find my, some nice, a clean suit, make sure it's nice and pressed, get a <laughs> matching belt and shoes and fly yeah. out to San Francisco yeah. and sales pitch you. Um, and yeah. I'm sure all that well, will I'll happen. Be is I'll, just come I'll be wearing back. jeans and a t-shirt. But. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, probably, probably, <laughs> but yeah, you can look past that. But well, Mark, um, yeah, w was this, was this pretty fun? Did you have a good time with this? Yeah, this was great, man. I really appreciate the, uh, I, I really appreciate the ask and, um, it's been great, great catching up and yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, would you come back another time if, uh, if you were, if you were yeah. to be asked? Okay, cool, cool. I, oh yeah, I want to start of course, to ask man. I'm happy to do it. Just, this is fun stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it was, it's fun to just shoot the breeze and uh, yeah, I guess do you? Yeah, it's a, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, and um, I mean, do you want to give out like uh, Paul gave out like his company website and stuff like that? But is there anything you wanted to give out to plug for yourself at all? Or uh, that's a good question. You know, I don't know. I don't, if, I need to think about if that. If you think about um, it later, let us know and we'll put it on the show notes page. Do you guys link? Do you guys link in show notes? Yeah, we can do links and stuff like that. So if you want us to, do what I what I can do is. I was just thinking about like sending you some links to like just resources, like, like the tie bar and like, here's like where you can look to get like, I don't know. I can, I can put some thought into that, but maybe I'll just add in. I don't know what or your you audience can just is say like that for your like coaching and courses. Size. I mean, you, you've already taken yeah. two hours of your time to give away a bunch of free stuff. So you don't have to give it all, all away for free, man. So maybe you just say that. What do you think that, I mean, do you think there's, there's potential there though, Clay? Like I, we're not, re, we're just like talking now, right? No, no, this is, this would still be the interview unless you want it to end. But <laughs> no, I don't care. No, I would say like, there's, what do you think I, about, I would definitely say there's potential for people that want to, I mean, listen, there's ambitious people out there and there's ambitious people that yeah. are humble people, meaning they're ambitious, but they also know they have areas to work on. And I think this would, this yeah. could be an area that they might acknowledge. Uh, I, that's not my strong suit. I, I would yeah. want to, and to your point, you know, making an investment into yourself, you know, can pay dividends in a large way. So I, I yeah. think that people would see the value. I mean, of course, you got to find the market value. I mean, I, I, I don't yep. know if people are going to pay $3,000 for this, but I mean, there's some sort of no. price out there where somebody's going to look at the price and say, yeah, I will be willing to pay that to better myself in this area so that I can get to where I want to go. That'll ultimately pay me a lot more than that price and not necessarily monetarily, yeah. but just if that can help me get my dream job and you can't even assign a dollar value to that. So the yeah. short answer would be yes, I definitely think there's a... a, a a job market out there or a, a opportunity out there for people to, to create some, uh, to help people and uh, to, you know, do a nice side hustle for yourself. But all I would say is you got to make sure you have passion for it. Cause at the end of the day, if you don't have, like you have to actually really want to help people. Cause if you don't really want to help people, yeah. then you will get burned out so fast. It, it, it won't even be. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know how you do it, man. I, you, I was going to say this. I, I was actually going to mention this earlier. I should have, but, um, just like the sheer amount of content that you put out is just 
out of this world. Like I was going to mention that early on and just like the fact that like I, every day at like four o'clock, I get hit with your like clay trader live videos. I'm like every single day. And it's like, plus that, plus the videos, plus clay trader. It's like, it's clear that you have a burning passion and enjoyment to do what you do. And that's uh that's pretty cool. And I don't know how you do it. <laughs> the, the, the sheer amount of content that you put out is it's, abs- it's crazy because it's just the time, like the time it takes to do a podcast. It's like two hours on a, at 10 o'clock on a, you know, on a Wednesday night. And that's on top of all the videos you put out, all the courses you put out. I, I don't know how you do I it. I just, uh, I don't, I, you follow me. What did, what quote did I just put out? What was it? It was uh, Mark Twain. Let me look it up real quick. And we'll, we'll, end the, we'll end it on this quote because this, I think, uh, summarizes things. The quote is this, and this is how I, I do it. Well, I have a good team around me though too. So for those of you that are unaware. Yeah, Nate's the man. Yeah, Nate. And then we have uh, Chez too that is uh, my co-host on the other podcast that I have. Where's that quote? I don't want to misquote it. If only I knew how to work Facebook. I'm sorry. This is a Google-sponsored podcast. There we go. So Mark Twain says, find a job you enjoy doing and you will never have to work a day in your life. So to me, sure, it's 10 o'clock. You embody that. Yeah, sure, it's 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night, Eastern, but I just got to hear about like the journey to Google. Like I don't know. I I thoroughly enjoy this. I learned a few things. And... um, and there was a review too I got, uh, Mark, on um, iTunes. And it was like, hey, thanks for uh, editing the podcast because my kids listen to these. But it's, it's nice. Pretty much she was glad to, hear, to have her kids hear kind of this no participation trophy, no victim mentality type attitude. So it's neat to know that there was a couple of kids that listened to uh, Paul and my podcast and the mom was like, enjoyed it enough to want to take some time out of her day to type something yeah. up on iTunes. So it's, it's kind of like super self-rewarding in that sense too. Um, so I guess yeah, absolutely. full circle, yeah, if you were gonna do that live coaching, that would be my bit of advice from businessman to businessman, brother-in-law to brother-in-law, make sure you actually like wanna truly help people or else you'll just get burnt out yeah. way too fast. But um, That's good advice, yeah. that's really good advice. And <laughs> Nate, just hit, cool, man. Nate just hit me on Slack, are you guys done? Yes, Nate, we're wrapping up right now. So, uh, Mark, thank yeah, you. Uh, thank you for hanging out. You and uh, we'll, I'll definitely have, a, have to have you back again. Cool. Thanks, right, Clay. Appreciate Take it. Care. Thanks, we'll Nate. See, see you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I want to just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating. That goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there. And I I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, 
then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.